in five, four, three, two, one. Who are you? He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr. That's what I'm talking about, man. Wait a minute. I know you. Check out the name tag. You're in my world now, Grandma. I know that, dude. He's a modern-day Yoda. I'm your huckleberry. Allow myself to introduce myself. Greetings and salutations. We came, we saw, we kicked it down. You're excited. Feel these nipples. That boy's good. Mm-hmm. Good and terrible. Well, I have a microphone, and you don't. So you will listen to every damn word I have to say! This is the Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X. Sportos, motorheads, geek bloods, wasteoids, dweebies, they all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. <laughs> All right, all right. Welcome into the Mike Rutherford Show. It is Thursday, May 19th. Coming to you live, as always, from the 1450 Big X. I was going to say Big X Studios. We're at the OG studio today in Jeffersonville, outside of Taylorsville Road, kicking it with you until 6 o'clock, talking all sorts of Cardinal sports, talking all sorts of nonsense. It's going to be a fun time. We're going to give away tickets again today to the Ladder Ladder Than Life and Bourbon and Beyond festivals going on, continuing with our Pick the Headliner contest, the last Ticket giveaway is going to be tomorrow. Today, if you've been listening this week, you should know uh, there's going to be no in-show contest. We're going to do a live drawing because in order to make sure that podcast listeners had a chance to to join the fun this week, we decided to make at least one day this week available to people who maybe can't listen live every day from 3 to 6. God love you for whatever reason. So we had people tweet pictures of themselves not smiling at Trevor Kelsey, who is not here today, and then also email me pictures of themselves not smiling. And folks, they were just as creepy as I was hoping for. It was a, a job well done. I especially hope the gentleman who sent his picture directly to Trevor's DMs is the one who won because they, who ends up winning because it was a particularly creepy. So we're going to do the drawing at some point today, and then tomorrow we'll get back to having an in-show contest. It'll be your last chance to, uh, to win tickets to that festival, which is going on again. The fantastic lineups there. Difficult choice to pick your headliner, but get ready. Think about who you're going to pick. With me in studio today over here in beautiful Jeffersonville, Indiana, is my guy Matt McGavick. We've had him on the show. We haven't had a chance to have him in studio. This is going to be fun. If you haven't followed his work, I don't know what you're doing. He's running the Louisville (laughs) Report site, which is affiliated with Sports Illustrated. Uh, He's everywhere. And and I want to thank him especially for coming in today because, I mean, this guy... You cover everything. Like Every time there's any sort of Louisville game, you're there, you're tweeting from there. And we found out today the Louisville baseball game, uh, cards are kicking off their weekend series. I say weekend in quotes. Uh, It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday this week against Virginia. And we knew you were going to have to be fashionably late to the game if you were going to do the show today. And now it turns out because of this weather that's coming into the area, I think late afternoon, early evening, They've moved first pitch for tonight's game up to four o'clock. So yep. you're going to—is it going to pain you to have to be here with me and just not actually doing your your usual thing following the game? N- not nearly as much because, like I said pre-show, I've got the stats feed pulled up. So if I'm really curious, I'll just you know pull up stat broadcast. Oh, they're doing this and this. No, nah, I'm good. It helps. I mean, you know, it's a certain point. You know, 
it's always good to be there from a journalistic pro- but like yeah. you know, I don't you're far more of a big J journalist than I am so I like being I, I still consider myself like lower lowercase J come on now. don't give me that <laughs> much credit it's uh, <laughs> uh but if you want to follow all of Matt's work and you should I mean the, the man's covering everything he's everywhere it's great stuff uh, at Matt underscore McGavick. I do miss the general wasp handle. <laughs> I, I hope it makes some sort of return at some point, triumphant return. I maybe I I, I had to change it due to pr- the sake of professionalism, but it it did pay me. I had to think about it for a few days. Do should I change this? Should I change my Twitter at that I've had for the better part of a decade? But the professionalism side in me decided, you know what, it's got to change. Change. Hey, change can be good though. It's like when, and you're younger than I am, but when the the, the sports internet like really exploded the sports blogosphere nobody wrote under their real names for a brief period of time and looking back on it like i mean it was just the wild west people were saying whatever they wanted to i mean i wrote when i started card chronicle i was mike like like there was no and people figured out like some people who i knew or had known figured out who i was after a while and after like a year or so i was like if i'm gonna do this like you need to add your last name to stuff yeah and it it is kind of weird that now like looking back on it like we, we were taking reports from well it is kind of weird, but also I say that knowing Nick Saban was taking reports from a guy named Slice Bread, who may or may not have been uh, Nick Saban. Was it was it Jimbo or was it Saban that took reports from Slice Bread? Also, with all that drama going on, who exactly was Slice Bread? That's the part of this whole Jimbo Saban drama, though not completely up to. We got to find out who is Slice Bread. Let's make it happen. We'll figure this out. But again, follow Matt. Matt, what's your? Because you covered Georgia Tech for a brief period. Your What's your background for people who maybe are listening and who are like, who is this guy? I see his work everywhere. Where did he come from? Why is he here? What's he doing? Give give the folks a little spiel out there about how you got to where you are right now. So I'm born and raised in the city of Louisville, lived here almost my entire life, except for the portion where I live down in Atlanta covering Georgia Tech. And I just kind of got into the whole Louisville blogosphere just from being present in a bunch of Louisville games. I know. I, I've never really put this out there on a national, well not, I don't want to say national because that gives me too much credit, on like a, <laughs> a public level, but I know a lot of people are going to be surprised when I say this, but when I was growing up, like in middle school, high school, I was a very, very, very slight Kentucky fan. Okay. Only it because, happens. yeah, I know, hey, I learned, I saw the light, but well, that's because my dad's a huge UK fan and he would kind of force his UK ways onto me and I just kind of went with it. I wasn't like really too big into sports, but once I uh, graduated high school, went to Louisville, because I went to Manuals, I I just went right across the street. Um, As a summer present, my uncle that lives in Richmond, Virginia, who was from Louisville, went to Louisville. He decided as a gift, he's going to give me season tickets for both men's basketball and football. And I'm like, okay, I'm not about to turn this down, even though it might not be a team I'm going to quote unquote cheer for. And then I started going to games and I'm like, okay, this is fun. And then that first year I went to all the games and then like every other year afterwards, I was that guy in the student section getting there two hours before tip off or two hours before the gates even open, just trying to be that guy at the front of the line. I know a lot of people probably remember me as that guy who would be on the front line wearing that big foam cardinal head. Yep, that was me. (laughs) And then from there, I started writing for a Cardinal Sports Zone, spent about less than a year there. Then I made the jump from there to... Uh, the Crunch Zone, which sometimes I get the acronym confused there because it's C Z, you know. It, it it doesn't help with uh, like Trevor's dyslexia when he tries to oh, when we tries to <laughs> when we try to make sense of these like T C Z T S Z T. It's a, it's a lot of them. There's a lot of them out there. Yeah, and from there I I was spent that uh, run with uh, the Crunch Zone basically that's their baseball writer. I started writing there full time in 2017, I believe, or it might have been. 2019 no it was 2019 because that was college world series year so and that's where it really 
hyped up for me. It's like, okay, this is something I actually enjoy. I really enjoy writing. I really enjoy the baseball coverage. And then from all the relationships you, you build with people you meet along the way in, in sports and whatnot, I had gotten to be real good buddies with the Georgia Tech baseball SID from a series that uh, Georgia Tech played at Louisville one year. So just on a complete whim, I text him and I said, hey, you know any gigs available in, mm-hmm. in the area or in the in the field? Just complete shot in the dark. Because at the time I was I was working first shift at a warehouse and I was like, you know what, I'm doing doing this whole writing thing for free kind of on the side. I wonder if this I can make maybe a job out of this to maybe make a little bit of money. So I text him and then like a couple days later, I get an email with from the uh, – Folks at Sports Illustrated now running under the pseudonym Fan Nation because the way it works, how I am, is that there's Sports Illustrated National, and then there's Fan Nation, which is like the umbrella of team sites that I kind of fall under. Imagine trying to explain this when the names are the same. Trust me, like SB Nation and SBNation.com, being two different things was a very difficult thing for me to explain to people for the last decade. Yeah, so instead of saying, "Oh, I write for Fan Nation or Sports Illustrated Fan Nation," I just say, "I write for Sports Illustrated." You should because because while it's technically not right, it's technically not wrong. Right, exactly. So I got I got an email back from them. They because I I guess the message was conveyed to the Georgia Tech SIDs is like. Hey, this guy wants to write about Georgia Tech, not just Georgia Tech baseball. So they offered me, hey, you want to write for our Georgia Tech site? And I'm like, yeah. Hell yeah. yeah no problem. <laughs> so I moved to Atlanta, lived there for four months covering Georgia Tech, and then I got an offer to come back to write for the Louisville site. And nothing against Georgia Tech. They were fantastic people down there. Fantastic Slander Georgia beat. Tech. Do it. Slander them. <laughs> I can't do that. This is what we do. It's jo- This is not a Josh Pastner friendly show. <sighs> I love Josh Pastner, though. He's, he's a great dude. Okay, I'll, I'll slander the football. The football sucks. There you go. I mean, it's Jeff Collins. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets fired after the season. Well done. There you go. Okay, that's the, that's the only, that's the only your slander you're going to get out of me. Okay. All right. But I got the opportunity to come back, and I couldn't pass it up. And then two weeks later after I came back, COVID hit. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, th- there it is. I, I, I sympathize with you on having to explain. The only thing that I liked about going to law school was how easy it was to tell people what I was doing. Like, it was just such a, like, you know, what do you do? I'm a sports writer. Well, who do you write for? Like, well, you know, I write for this side and this side. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing this. Law school was so much simpler. It, it was just, you know, I'm a law school. Oh, cool. Like, that's that must be great. Yeah, you don't really need to explain further than that. I go to law school. Oh, cool. Unless you're Trevor, who uh, also did not know that law school was more than one class. I don't know if you caught that a few weeks ago. Trevor, this is when my mom texted oh, me mid-conversation and was like, I love Trevor. He thought it was just like law class. Like, you show up from, from 8 to 5, and you you learn law. Like, just that's what you do for the entire year. He's like, you had oh different goodness. classes? Yeah, you have you have different classes. That's the way it works. But when I would say, you know, I, I write for Car Chronicle. It's a Louisville site. And like, you know, people are like, oh, it's a blog, you know, whatever. And I'm like, well, I do cover college basketball for SBNation.com. And half the time, people would say, ESPN? And I was like, oh, my God, I would just be like, yes, like, sure, like whatever, whatever makes this compli- this conversation as simple as possible. But having to explain that SBNation.com and the SBNation team sites were two were technically two different networks, but under the same umbrella was a lengthy conversation that people didn't care enough about to follow. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, you know, sports writer, sports writer. Yeah, that, that's, basically radio the, show that's basically what I do. The same, same exact thing. And there it in is. In fact, I'll get some of my friends or family. Like, Who you write for ESPN? Like literally same exact situation you're in. I'm like. No, I write for Sports Illustrated, even though it's technically not right, technically not wrong. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the Thornton Stucks line today, if you have questions, we're actually, this is going to be a rare, uh, I guess, outlier show for us because we're going to talk mostly sports, probably the next two days, because Keith Wynn's going to be uh, over here tomorrow to, to give his football expertise. 
And so we won't have Trevor just, you know, bringing up what 80s move, movie that he watched last night or what 80s movies that he watched last night, which I, I enjoy, but it will be nice to to have a sports conversation for three hours. And if you want to join that conversation, the best way to get involved, text us on the Thornton's text line, 502-414-1450. We love hearing from you, and we love Thornton's. If you have to, you know, save some money at the pump, we all do right now, download the Refreshing Rewards app, become a Refreshing Rewards member. It's going to save you money every time you need to fuel up. Also, you know, stop inside. They're the only gas station here. They've got employees dedicated to their food. They've got the best coffee, the best donuts, the best uh, pepperoni pretzels. They've got all this good stuff in there. Stop into one of the uh, 15,657 area Thornton's locations. They're that many for a reason. It's great. You don't, you don't have that many of anything unless it's great. And Thornton's is great. The text line's great. And the first text that I see as I pull it up was, before you even said anything, was Matt the guy wearing this foam head? What, <laughs> what years was he in the student section? I think I was there around the same time, and he posted this picture. Was that you? Oh, my God, yes. It was. Yep. See, yep. everybody knows everybody here. I've still got that foam head, too. And whenever the few times they've had me do video stand-ups, I've had like the Sports Illustrated banner on one side, and then on the other side, I've got a whole bunch of Louisville memorabilia and regalia and whatnot, and then on the top of my dresser, it's got that foam head. It's torn to all hell now, but hey, it's well still there. Hey, a man must have a brand. You had a brand. You established it. You embraced it. It was fantastic. Um, before we get into the conversation here, also, I, I do have to, you would know this, I think. Do you know how to pronounce, <laughs> we both know him, is it Sefcovic or Sefcovic? I believe it's Sefcovic. You don't, but you don't know either. I, you would think as someone who previously co-hosted a podcast with he and who also site. has name pronunciation issues that I would go the extra mile to, you know, know how to pronounce it, but you, you'd be mistaken. I'm, I'm not that guy, unfortunately. <sighs> I feel so bad for Matt. Like, like we... Because I bring him up all not, the time. Not only we're both Matt, we're both we both have similar. That's bad. Last like last part of our last name. The other state, like Jacob Lane, the, the state of Louisville guys, they didn't know. Like they they nobody knows how to pronounce his last name, and he has a podcast. You think the last name would have come up at some point, Matt? Oh God, you're wearing a UK shirt. It's yeah, been sent I've got to be like eight, nine years old, and, oh, and then of God. course my dad's in the background giving me the bunny ears. You, but see now you're getting slandered. He, he he holds that as blackmail for me, but it's never gonna work. I'm Start guessing Sefcovic. That's. Or, Sefcovic sounds like better, but I'm guessing Sefcovic. He's going to have to. I also wonder if it's Matt himself who keeps texting in, like, if we know how to pronounce his name. I think he's just starting to get upset because he has to listen to the show at some point. But what are you going to do? Um, I, had, I had planned in the first segment to talk to you about Louisville baseball because you are, you, know, you mentioned your background covering baseball. It's an exciting time to be a Louisville baseball fan. This is the time of the year where I think even the people who keep the baseball team sort of in the periphery until basketball's over when they really get mm-hmm. on board. But some stuff happened. <laughs> I don't think we can lead anywhere else without, I know this is a Louisville sports show, but my God, has there been a better offseason feud? I'm not saying just college football, not just college sports, but a better offseason feud in sports recently than what we've seen over the last 24 hours from Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. And it's, if you had issues with the NIL era and i know i mean trevor does we've had texters who do i know it's still uncomfortable for a lot of people this alone to me it makes it worth it makes it worth it like this is theater that you can't find anywhere else and if you don't know what we're talking about we'll give a a quick refresher course nick saban last i don't even know where he was speaking do you know matt i i don't know i don't know i know he was up there with a panel of him and two other guys and it just I don't know if it was unprompted because I didn't see the whole clip. It was pretty much an out of context. It's like a seven minute clip. I didn't watch the whole thing. I just caught yeah, the. I, I basically just caught the fact that he, in some sort of public forum, where I assume that he knows what he says is going to get out to the general public, makes the statement that Texas A&M got the number one recruiting class in college football this year over them because they quote paid every single player in their class. 
And I think he even tossed out the the, the sum of money, which has been floating around everywhere, of $30 million, $30 million is yeah. what this, this collective group of high school players was paid by Texas A&M. And so that turned some heads. And also, like, people are, are kind of saying, okay, yeah, that's weird. It seems like that's not right, but it's by the rules, technically. What are you complaining about? Like, yeah, you there've can been, do it. If you wanted to pay $30 million, you could pay $30 million. And we are pretty sure that you're paying something to some of these kids, especially local fans have that feeling. And, and plus, even if you were doing something that's not technically by the letter of the law, what's the NCAA going to do about it at this point? Exactly. They're pretty much on the they're pretty much on their dying breath at this point. So, like, why do you have to really be- follow what they're doing? I guess is the best way to put it. So, Jimbo, Q, Nas Etherbeat calls a press conference this morning at ten, and everybody's like, "Oh boy, here we go." And sure enough, like he gets he he's just. I love the fact that he waited for questions before addressing it because you know, like he's got his guy who's like, he's like, you know, go ahead, feed me the question. He's like, do you want to mention the Alabama? He's like, here we go, boom, and he launches into a verbal tirade, the likes of which you just don't see, especially with guys who are before today considered to be friends. Yeah, he comes out, he calls Nick Saban a narcissist. He, you know, talks about we've anointed him the czar of college football. Maybe look into how he got to where he is. You're probably not going to like. We basically like just says this dude's been cheating his entire life to get where he is. Do a little bit of research. It's not hard to find. Everybody knows this. Just ethers him and says we do things the right way. You know, he's like we're no longer friends. We're not going to talk. Like this is just you don't see people talk this open and honestly in this industry. And it's fantastic. And now I saw this right when I was coming in. Saban's going on a radio show at four thirty. So God, we may wait to hear this. We may have part three while we're on the air, which we may have to. We may have to break in live. I don't know if we can do that. I don't know what our affiliation is with whatever station this is going to be. But we may have to break in. But I guess initial question to you, Matt. Like, I, I think I know the answer. Like, are you Team Jimbo? Are you Team Saban here? What's your your overall reaction to this the kerfuffle? I am Team Jimbo, and that's probably just. A little bit biased considering what has happened between Louisville and Alabama in the sure. last few weeks. But I'm also Team Jimbo from the side that he's finally saying the quiet part out loud. I mean, you, you have to think that coaches kind of have these t- sort of conversations you know, behind closed doors, not in a public forum, like saying like, hey, this isn't cool. What's going on here? When it, At least when it comes to the recruiting part, because, you know, these these guys get locked into recruiting battles all the time. And you can't exactly at least where the way rules were previously set up, you can't exactly say what Jimbo said in a press conference back then. I mean, it'd be obviously you were you were cheating or you were doing at least something right. something similar. But I'm I'm Team Jimbo because he finally he finally had enough and he finally wanted to just you could you could tell that he was sitting on this for a while and he was just waiting on the perfect moment for him to even remotely bring up something bad about saving and it, it's crazy that it got this far because they worked together at lsu mm-hmm. and now jimbo went as far to say no i'm not returning his calls yeah not, not going to we're done was the exact quote and <laughs> it's the best is like it's kind of just like watching two dudes you did you like hated in school just drill each other in the face in the playground because you're like i mean whoever wins i win like I, I, it doesn't matter like this is this is great Everybody knows both these dudes have been cheating their their bleeps off for their entire careers. And, I mean, it should not shock anybody. Everybody in major college football, hell, everybody in minor college football, has been cheating to some degree for decades. Decades, yes. And the fact that they're, like, having this slap fight in public over who's not even cheating now, but who's doing things that are, I guess, somewhat nefarious in the other's eyes is just beyond hilarious. And 
I don't understand, like, because Jimbo's been whining now on a variety of fronts for the last, or not, not Jimbo, Saban's sure. been whining on, on a variety of fronts for like a week now, talking yeah. about like the tampering, NIL is out of control. I guess I just don't really understand what he's so upset about. I mean, his, his comments about parody and wanting to restore it are so just violently hypocritical that, that, that everybody laughs at them. I mean, Alabama has dominated the sport forever. <laughs> and it, if it's not Alabama, it's a handful of the other teams that have done. College football is quite literally the least parody-driven sport, major sport in all of American athletics. The fact that you're saying this, like everybody sees right through you. What's your issue? Like, does he not think that like because NIL, it would seem to me, shouldn't derail the Bama train. If anything, it should enhance it. Like we know right. they've got big money down there. There's still Bama. It's still the brand. People are still going to go there if they have the opportunity. We experienced that with Tyler Harrell firsthand. What is, is it? Just because you didn't get the top recruiting class this year, is that it? Like, are you just so paranoid about falling off a little bit? That you're you're flipping about. I, I just I just I don't understand what Nick Saban is so upset about. I guess is my point. I don't understand the angle he's getting at because I remember it was either a week before it Tyler Harrell officially committed to Bama or maybe a week after is when he came out with that statement saying that NIL and the transfer portal is creating the wild wild west or I can't remember what exactly he said, but when he put that out there, it almost it didn't like read off as a concern it read off at least to me reading it and knowing what i know about what's going on between louisville tyler Heller, and bama it almost read off kind of like as a warning like hey the way that the rules are currently constructed in the, in the way that it is right now if it's not fixed we're going to continue to do to do this that's how hmm. i perceived it as because i mean i know we have kind of have firsthand knowledge about the tampering going on between Alabama and Tyler Harrell. I mean, at so this that, point, everybody does. Let's be real. Like, like my like cousin's grandma who doesn't follow, doesn't know what sports is. She's like, you hear about this Tyler Harrell kid? Like, yeah. it somehow has leaked down to everybody. Everybody knows now. Yeah, I mean, full disclosure, I I found out about it the day that it broke. I found out that morning. Someone texted me, "Hey, I I'm it sounds, seems like Tyler Harrell might be going to Alabama." And I, like a couple hours later, it started breaking onto social media. It started flooding uh-huh. on there, and the rumors. And then a few days later, it ends up pulling the trigger. But how how do you fix this? Like, how do you fix this at all? I mean, the way it's currently constructed now, obviously, it's it's kind of hypocritical to try and do that now. But at some point, I know the NCAA is trying keyword like air quotations trying working on it. Yeah, working on it. Just <laughs> barely working on We're it. We're doing doing the bare minimum is the best way to put it to try and put in transfer windows. But I always just go back to the point that they had decades to prepare for this exactly and it took an act of congress for them to actually enact it and now once it's finally quote-unquote legal they're kind of throwing their hands up in the air saying oh what are we supposed to do exactly i think that i don't want to speak for everybody i don't want to speak for you but i i would assume that most college sports fans are in agreement with when it comes to nil because i i do you know the, the poll show the stats show that most fans of college sports were in favor of athletes making money in some way shape or form at least before this started happening oh, yeah. a couple of years ago. I mean, it's a billion-dollar industry, and they're getting paid nothing. Right. I mean, you, you can make the argument, oh, they're they're getting a scholarship, but, I mean, when you're participating in a business that's legitimately responsible for giving the NCAA billions of dollars a year, like you, you should be compensated in right. some regard. I also think, though, that a majority, I would say a healthy majority of college sports fans would like to see this NIL be a thing where – you're rewarded for who you are and what you've done in college as opposed to we're just using this to buy recruits. And I think that, you know, right now there's no way to differentiate between the two. Like there's no mm-hmm. – the, the rules, because there are no rules, uh, don't 
they have opened the door for this to happen. And it's going to continue. These collectives are going to continue to pop up. I know there was a movement here in Louisville to try to get one of these because people felt like we were falling behind. And I understand that because Mm -hmm. when you see Tennessee allegedly paying $7 million to land a 16-year-old kid in a quarterback class who's two, two years away from even studying foot on campus, you do feel like you do worry about falling behind a little bit. The question now, I mean, does anybody? Because the NCAA's they've you know, they've done the officer bar Brady. We're on the case now. Don't don't worry about it. <laughs> We're going to fix these loopholes. We're going to make this what it should be, which is if you have if you're Oscar Sheboy, excuse <coughs> me, right in the mic. I, I always forget I have a cough button over here. <laughs> if you're Oscar Sheboy, you're the national player of the year in college basketball. You play for one of the biggest brands in college basketball. You are worth a significant amount of money because Kentucky makes a ton of money. You should be able to profit off of that. You've achieved that. You've earned that. There should be a difference between that and Kentucky, and I'm not I'm just using them as an example. Right. Going out and getting, you know, DJ Wagner for $1.5 million, a kid who's never played a game in college, who, you know, maybe he gets to college and he's not as good as we all think he's going to be. I don't think that's going to happen, but just hypothetically. Right. There should be a difference between that. Shibuya, you can say he's earned the $2 million he's going to make next year. A 17-year-old kid should not be paid solely for the purpose of going to a specific school. Now, the issue is, do we have any faith in the NCAA's ability to rectify this and fix this? I mean, I think I'm No, not whatsoever. I mean, no, I agree with you there. There has to be some sort of rules put in place to where – now, I, I, I'll admittedly tell you I'm not exactly what the rules need to be. I've heard a lot of people theoretically put rules out there of, like, how they would fix the current model. But fix it. There, there's got to be something because, I mean, the way it's set up now, and I, I know I keep going back to that, but it's as easy as, hey, you want to come here? Here's some money. And we can just put it under the guise of, hey, we're, we're having this used car salesman pay you $500,000 to represent them, but you're secretly using it to just get them away from X school to come to Y school. There's got to be something. I know I've, I saw someone a day or two ago uh, put put forth saying that, hey, if we're going to continue with NIL, one-time transfer, one-time transfer rule needs to go. Now, obviously, that's not going to happen. No. But in theory, that would – fix it i'm not for that i think the one-time transfer transfer rule should stay but that would be one way to kind of curtail all these this nil tampering and whatnot but i I wouldn't go so far as to say the one-time transfer rule's got to go but something's got to be incorporated to where say if you're planning on transferring there needs to be some sort of guideline like okay you're entering the portal you can only accept nid nil deals at this point in time maybe if it's before, like once you accept an NIL deal, you can't enter the portal. Obviously, there's smarter people than me that know like the legalities and logistics of actually making these work. But there's got to be something. I think we can both agree that we keep saying things like that because I I've kind of fallen back on that too. Where I'm like smarter people than I, you know, they're on the case. And then like you hear the rulings, I'm like, are these people really smarter than we are? Because we're not coming up with results that indicate yeah. that they are. Um, no, Mark Emmert's not doing anything. Good. Well, yeah, I mean, just cruise control. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I put in my two weeks. I've been checked out for the last five years. I'm, I'm good. Uh, the Back real quickly to the Jimbo versus Saban thing. We both kind of said we're Team Jimbo. At the same time, like I'm I'm more just Team Not Saban than I am Team Jimbo because Jimbo's a fraud too. Like There's no way around it. Like Jimbo, he comes out today with the quote. He says, I don't lie. I don't cheat. And then he said something like, if you lied back in my day, you got smacked up the head by the – like played the all shucks thing. And I'm like, no, nobody's buying And he this. kept saying, I know things. I know things. Of course oh, believe you me, do. I know things. I think well, a lot of people I'm sure know the people, about you. I'm sure the people you say know things know things about you, Jimbo. I mean, it, everyone's guilty here. It's uh, everybody's known who Jimbo Fisher has been, and also the the irony in 
calling a press conference and then calling somebody a narcissist at the press conference that you called just to like vent to the, the general public about another person is not lost on me. It, it's like, I love this. This is fantastic. It's, it, it's tremendous theater. Um, in the, you know, the immortal words of, uh, was it, uh, the tremendous content quote, uh, oh, Darren Ravel. Darren Ravel. Yeah. I was like, I kept thinking Mike Norvell. Uh, Darren Ravel, <laughs> you know, I, I, I weep for our country, but this is tremendous content. It's. I hope it continues forever. I hope they keep fighting. The other thing that we have to say, ready for a, a all-time pull-the-thread, loop-everything-together hot take, this kind of started. The Saban on tilt a little bit, like lashing out at everybody, it kind of started after Scott Satterfield called him out publicly. Yeah. If he unravels completely here, if this is his undoing, if Jimbo calling him out and all this stuff, and now he just keeps being on tilt, keeping on tilt, and people are like, oh, I don't know about this guy. I don't got to play for Bama. Did Scott Satterfield cause the end of the Alabama era of dominance in college football? Is this a possibility? Hey, you never know. We shall see. But just thinking about that, I I can't really think of anyone before that who's tried to really publicly call him out. By the, I know Mike Norvell said something similar-ish around the same time Satterfield did, but I'm pretty sure – he was the one that was first to be on record with saying, yes, I believe Alabama tampered with Tyler Harrell. Do I have the proof? No, but you can just look at this from a 30,000 foot view and you can see what is going yeah, on. Exactly. Put two and two together. You know, you know who, whose team we should be on? Deion Sanders. I'm still waiting for his response. Cause he said that he's got, he's going to expose Saban's lie and he's teased about it on social media saying it's going to happen. I'm just waiting for it to come out. I'm, I'm in, excited for what he has to say i mean one of the kids responded like, like the travis hunter yeah, yeah the, the kid from jackson state who was like hey, I'm, I'm getting a million dollars apparently but my mom is still living in a, a three-bedroom house with five kids uh that's hilarious and Dion has kind of been like you know very complimentary of saban since he became a head coach like he's sort of he built saban up as, they've done commercials together and yeah. all this stuff and now saban just lashing out at everybody finally getting a little bit of the blowback on himself it's uh it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful thing. Scott Satterfield com- completely taking down Nick Saban. Safe to say that Deion Sanders and Nick Saban won't be doing any more Aflac commercials. No, it's not happening. Saban maybe ended uh, Bobby Petrino's career here, and now Scott Satterfield's going back at him. He's, he's going back. Didn't Petrino flick uh, Saban off one time during a game? I think that was an Alabama game, the I, I famous image. Did. So yep, yep. that's maybe as close as like Louisville coaches, what they do well. Calling out Nick Saban. It's great. Uh, we'll take your thoughts on this on the text line, 502-414-1450. We'll get into a little Louisville baseball chatter coming up after the break as well. Uh, we got other things to talk about. There are non-Saban-related uh, football things to items to get to. Scott Satterfield did something that infuriated Kentucky fans. We'll talk about that as well. It's the Mike Rutherford Show, live from Jeffersonville, here on 1450 and 96.1, The Big X. Thursday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show rolling here before it gets uh, hopefully too rainy. I, I'm very concerned. I mentioned this yesterday. I was concerned yesterday. Thankfully, storms were not bad. Rain was light. But I always am. I mean, we lose power when the wind blows. And with two small children, it's uh, it's it's not great. I'm so. sure that's not a fun household having to deal with screaming children whenever the power goes out. I hate it, man. Like, I used to love storms. I used to get excited about it. I'm not excited about it, but I, just, I, I enjoyed storms as a kid growing up. And now, like having kids and being terrified of the power going out, and also I've mentioned there's like this like, 
800-foot tree behind us that I'm terrified is going to fall on our house if uh, if the wind is too bad because we've seen it happen around us like three times since we moved into this house. I just uh, I get I get super nervous, and so I, I just I'm tracking my guy Mark Weinberg. I'm following his every move. I'm like Weinberg, speak comfort to me, give me something good. And a lot of times he doesn't have it. And tonight it looks like we might be kind of just right on the edge of the bad storms, but it's still going to get a little bit nasty out there. I can I can deal with them, but that's because I, I sleep through them. Remember a few weeks ago when downtown Louisville and several Louisville neighborhoods had that the tornado warning and actually yeah. the tornado touchdown? I slept right through that. Did you really? I had no idea that went on until I woke up the next morning. God love you. Uh, Thornton's text line, 502-414-1450. We got Matt McGavick from Louisville Report in studio today over here at the OG Studios in Jeffersonville. Uh, talked a little Saban Fisher feud before the break there. Uh, we will I'll take a couple texts here before we get to a Louisville baseball discussion. Texture says, what does the guy look like that does the Big X promos? I don't know. I, I, I'm just as curious as you are. I love the voice. It makes me – I enjoy hearing him. I've got no idea what he looks like. <laughs> Douglas might know. We, we, we have to ask Douglas. I have no idea. Douglas, Douglas has no idea. <laughs> if Douglas doesn't know, then I've got no idea. I've, I've, no I've been in connect with him, but I've never uh, been in his presence. I've never seen an image of the man. Does he – Does he? is he a Louisvillian? Is he a – Indianian? Is he? Where does he reside? Do we have any idea? Well, I think the last I heard, we contract with him. Uh, he works, you know, part, you know, like freelance for us from another city. He's, uh, I'm not aware that he lives in Louisville. God, we got to get him in here. We got to get him in here for a big X Christmas party or something. <laughs> Just so <laughs> interview I can with the voice of XVW. That'd be, <laughs> we'll get him on the be show. an interesting one. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, he's worked real hard. He, he does. He does. I mean, he really works hard. Oh, he's great. He'd be amazed behind the scenes. How hard that man works. I, I completely believe it. Yeah, yeah, no surprise. Uh, Texas, I'm not Matt Sefcovic, but I believe the C is pronounced with an S, so it would phonetically be pronounced Sevcevic. Well, now I'm throwing for a loop. Now, now I want this to be correct. That's, I can actually buy that. Now that I look at it, I think that might be right. Sevcevic. Yeah, that, yeah I, that does sound kind of right. Uh, but I'm just going to call him Matt S or just ex-co-host Matt because I – I, I hate to be that guy that texts him or call him and say, hey, how do you pronounce your last name? Oh, I'm doing it eventually. At this point, I just don't want to know, though. I want, I want to figure it out myself. I want him to tell me. I, I know at some point I've got to talk to him again because he's got a bottle of Eagle Rare for me. Oh. Yeah. Sepsific rolls deep. <laughs> the same person texts Joey Baker with three eyeball emojis. Look, <laughs> I said this yesterday. No. And I know that there was some buzz. Like he'd be, Some people were saying he'd be a good fit for Louisville. If Joey Baker comes here, look, I'm, I'm going to have a hard time with it. I know there's a connection with Nolan Smith. Mm-hmm. Joey Baker, not good at basketball. Not cool. It, would I have to eat my words if he comes here? Yeah. But I, I, I'm doing the same thing that I did last year with Rocket Watts. I'm just letting you people know. If he comes here, you're not going to like it. I'm not going to like it. He's not going to like it. It's not going to be good. Don't let this happen. Don't, don't make this happen. We saw what Darius Perry did. We made Joey Baker crap his pants. It happened on national television. It was super embarrassing. We all saw it. We all saw it. We all remember it. People smelled it. Let's not let this guy come here. I can't, I can't deal with it. I can't, I can't have it. Uh, Texture says, I'm not team anyone in the Jimbo versus Saban thing. They're both whiny liars. Jimbo did cheat. You can't pay kids to come to your school. You can pay them once they are there. He's just as bad as Saban. It's nice to finally see Saban called out publicly, but Jimbo is just as guilty. I tell you what, if they go eight and four next season after supposedly paying thirty million for an NIL collective, that's just going to be the funniest part out of all of it. I remember watching the uh, the live stream of Jimbo's press conference, and of course, half the comments are just you know saying, "Oh, Jimbo, look at him go," and the other comments were like, eight and four, eight and four, eight and four." Yeah, uh, I mean that's 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 pretty much. Texas A&M's supposed glass ceiling. I mean, they, they can get all the, all the talent in the world, but for some reason, 
they don't really have much of a trophy case. I remember when, uh, who was it? John Tay Cook went on an official visit there. And on his official visit, he said, hey, man, I don't know where the trophies are here. <laughs> on his visit. <laughs> they have a lot of September national championships. If you remember Kevin Sumlin, a.k.a. Sumtember, uh, they were always the kings of September. I think my favorite tweet that I saw today was uh, just some random guy who was like, Jimbo is heated. a and going to be on a mission this year. I would hate to be their Duke's Mayo Bowl opponent. Like I was like, no, that's, that's, that's brilliant. That's, that's, that's perfect. Well so we officially have a delay at Jim Patterson Stadium is what Matt is reporting here. Louisville baseball, not going to start on time. That's the, nope. that's the word. I'm, I'm going to assume weather because I'm seeing across my timeline severe thunderstorm watches and warnings. So I'm just going to assume that this is not going to get played on time. Don't like it. Don't like it. Uh, Texas said, I talked way too bad about Joey Baker for him to transfer to my school. You did. There's some podcasts that would have to be scrubbed completely. Uh, that, actually, this radio show at You'd this point. You'd have to pull Dan Dockage. Probably would have to be scrubbed, yeah. <laughs> uh, Texas said, Jimbo actually used the man who orchestrated Free Shoes University as his example of how to learn from someone who did it right as opposed to saving. <laughs> I did love that. He's like, I, I learned under Bobby Bowden what to do, what not to do. I'm like, I mean, Bobby Bowden, not exactly a beacon of integrity. No, not one bit. R.I.P., though. Um, Texas says, of all days, I miss, of course, it's the one headline by the ultimate man fight, old man fight between Saban and Jimbo. Oh, this is, uh, this is Trevor. Trevor's texting in. Of all the days I miss, of course, it's the <laughs> one headline by the ultimate old man fight between Saban and Jimbo. I'm missing my own Super Bowl. It's on brand for Trevor. He I sleeps through a lot of stuff that he likes. I tell you what, out of what I'm anticipating the most from what comes of this as to who finally drops the bomb on what they actually know because everyone's saying i know things i know people i know what they do i know what he does he did this he did that i'm waiting for whether it be jimbo fisher whether it be nick saban whether it be Deion sanders or some other coach who hasn't even entered the fight yet i'm waiting for the moment that they come forth and said hey such and such coach paid such and such money for such and such recruit yeah i'm waiting for that to happen and when that happens we'll go full-blown mutually assured destruction like we haven't already does it kind of blow your mind that that hasn't happened already? Because you'll listen to, I mean, there are, there are big major podcasts out there with, with, on the basketball side, like the Woj pod. They would straight up name like guys when they would go to AAU events. They're like, oh yeah, 15 years ago, they'd be like, this guy was getting this guy. I mean, I'll say that there's a, because it's not me reporting it. There's a podcast out there that's like, oh yeah, Chandler Parsons would tell anybody that John Calipari was offering him $200,000 to go to, to Memphis back in the day. And like, why is this not out in the public? Like, Because everybody has the same take. Like all these now, I think now big college basketball media is coming around to like Jeff Goodman now is just on this, this war path. He's like, I'm just going to tell it like it is. Let's really tell it like it is. Mm-hmm. Like just straight put up, put out some stuff. Like yeah, put the numbers I, and coaches. I don't know why they're not more willing to do it. They do it in these anonymous polls that come out every year. CBS does this every year where it's like, who do you think are the most clean guys in college basketball? Who are the most dirty in college basketball? And it's, you know, the usual suspects typically headline these names. It shocks me that more of this hasn't become mainstream in this day and age, especially where it's more accepted, where people aren't – it's not – like when I was growing up, it, it was stigmatized. Like, And I had that stigma as a kid. Like when I heard Marcus Camby getting money, like, oh, he's a bad guy. You know, the Fab Five, they were bad because they were getting money. And now I, like, that's not the way that people view things anymore no. by and large. So I am surprised that it hasn't become more of a like just air it all out. This, this guy got that guy. Hey, by the way, 20 years, he got that. Like, yeah. I, I can see why it, it wasn't like kind of put out in the mainstream public back in the day because it was more frowned upon you, like you said, they had that stigma. And I think back then people were more fearful of what the NCAA was going to do. But if anything, programs, coaches, players shouldn't really fear the NCAA at all because they are pretty much proven to be inept and right. not only are toothless, but are 
have a foot in the grave. So I, I, I think it's truly only a matter of time before someone comes out in public and says, hey, this person took this recruit because he paid him to come to my school. It, it's going to happen. Who exa- It might be Jimbo. It might be Saban. I think if, if it's either one of those two, it's probably going to be Jimbo because he's the one that called a press conference to say all these glowing things about Saban. Mm-hmm. But it it's going to happen at some point. I meant to ask you this last segment because you might know better than I do. It came up yesterday. We talked about it. Do you have any idea what the hell's going on with Tyler Harrell? Like, like has there been any buzz? We know, like, all we know is he was on the Bama roster. He's now off the Bama roster. See, he's I, still on the Louisville roster. I didn't realize that he was on the Bama roster to begin with because typically that doesn't happen until after they're actually signed with the program they've committed to. And to my knowledge, I went to Alabama's website. I went to the social media. I tried looking for old tweets. To my knowledge, there was never a moment that Tyler Harrell was technically a part of Alabama's roster. So I don't want to give that rumor too much life that he could potentially come back because for all we know, they're just waiting on getting the measurables in so that he can actually enroll. Well, but, and the bigger rumor is that he's going to go to Texas now. It, it, like That's been the thing. Like Texas fans everywhere are like, Tyler Harrell's coming because they lost the other kid who was uh, they, they had taken from Bama who now is no law. He's deleted all of his – A guy Hall kid? Yeah, yeah. Going to Texas stuff on Instagram. And now they're all – like all these people are saying, well, we're getting Tyler Harrell from Alabama. I tell you what, if they get Harrell, a guy, and Jordan Addison, I don't, I don't care who you have at quarterback. They should be good. Of course, should is the big keyword here because Texas has been trying to be back for the better part of a decade and a half now. <laughs> Like, is this allowed to like just take bags from all these schools? And if so, more more power to the kids. Like, people got mad at like I I said I've said this many times. My my hero from the FBI probe into college basketball was Dennis Smith, who just took money from everybody and then didn't sign with them. Like, like he went like he took money from like Nike people, Adidas people, and then mm-hmm. like was going to NC State, and then he doesn't sign like doesn't up with Under Armour, doesn't up with the, like he just. He didn't sign with the agency, like the people that were paying him. Like he just he fleeced everybody and took yeah, all this money. Because what are they going to do? Report that they had the money stolen? I mean, exactly. what you're doing is quote unquote illegal in the eyes of the NCAA to begin with. So you, you you can't really complain to anyone. So yeah, props to him. I mean, he cheated the system. Let's say Bama got like he got a 500k deal to do like some sort of appearance at a car dealership at, at Alabama, and like he fulfilled that. But it's you know it's May and Texas is like oh here's 600k to do the same thing here. Like okay, I'm gonna go play for the Longhorns. Like. I'm in support of it. Yeah, who, who's, to, who's to say they can do that? And that's where, kind of going back to what I was saying, that there needs to be some sort of rules or guidelines set in place between NIL and tra- the transfer portal to say, like, you can only sign NIL deals from this one to this window, and you can only enter the portal from this one to that window. Like, there needs to be something. The way it is now, it, it's not going to work. It's going to lead to the Wild West. Not Okay, we're already in the Wild West. I mean, we're, we're talking – I can't even imagine having this conversation a week ago, even – floating the potential idea that Tyler Harrell could come back. I honestly thought that ship had sailed from the moment I found out he was even going to Alabama. This, to me, is a straightforward question. It was asked yesterday. There was some debate on the text line. Trevor and I talked about it. Do you welcome Tyler Harrell back? You personally. I would, but my opinion is not who matters here. It is the opinion of the players and the staff. If they admit him, perfectly fine. If they don't admit him, Perfectly fine, because at the end of the day, my opinion on if I would welcome him back, of course I would welcome him back. He's the fastest player in college football. We he's need the, receivers. Or at least he's the fastest wide receiver in college football. And Louisville needs wide receivers. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got Tyler Hudson. They've got D. Wiggins. Uh, Braden Smith uh, looks like he could be due for a bounce back year after tearing his ACL. But at the end of the day, Tyler Harrell is a game-changing receiver, not just for, from the production he gives you. He forces defenses to scheme around him. It, it, it complete, The biggest loss from 
Tyler Harrell's departure was not the production that he gave is how it was how the offense kind of altered because if you've got that consistent deep threat you kind of it kind of opens up the short to intermediate passing game or just like like stacking the box down low it kind of forces the defense to scheme around that now that you've got that deep threat that guaranteed deep threat gone now it kind of alters the offensive scheme a little bit to where now the defense knows there's not going to be someone who's going to guarantee to beat the deep safeties every time and so now you've got to kind of alter that that is where the biggest loss of tyler harrell like impacted louisville football no question i mean because louisville you know when when louisville that offense has been at its best and it's been good all three years don't get me wrong but when it was at its best in year one it was because there was always a they were a constant threat to hit the big play Right. I think they were what well, we led the country in plays over fifty yards. I think we led the country in plays over sixty yeah, it, yards. It was some explosive stat like that. Get Kelly Dickey on that. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's why the running game was so good because it kept the back end of opposing defenses honest. You, you had to always be aware of that. And I think you were aware of it last year too. Even though we didn't hit on a lot of those big plays, Harold had some drops. We we missed a couple open guys. Jordan Watkins had some drops. We missed Jordan Watkins wide open a few times. But you knew we were going to take those chances. And I think. I think people were frustrated last year with the offense early on in the season because it was predictable when we were going to take those chances. Mm-hmm. Like we were going to run on first down, we might take a shot on second down, and then we're going to do you know third and long. Here we are, third and seven. Like it, that seemed like it was every single series. They right. mix it up more as the season went along, and having Harrell out there, yeah, it gives you that two-two Atwell effect. It gives you that two-two like you may drag him across the middle for a big play. Or he may just sprint down the left sideline and beat somebody deep. Like, you always have to be aware of that. You can't put a bunch of guys in the box and do what I think it was Pitt a couple of years ago who just dared us to throw deep, and we could not they hit could that big it. play. NC State did it a little bit to a, to a degree last year as well, and that's kind of what kept them in the game when we should have been blowing them out and allowed them to make that second-half comeback. But I think that Pitt game was a little bit of an outlier because there were, there was just no holding up that defensive front. Pitt had a godly defensive front. Yeah, and they've still got a couple guys there for sure, and they're that's, they're still going to be a problem when they when they come to Louisville. But I think you could have had Jerry Rice and the second coming of Randy Moss at receiver, and the way that the defense was getting in the Louisville backfield that game, Malik was not going to get that ball to them just for be- sure. It's a it's a it's a great point, but we have to have we do have to find that deep threat now. There is a, a little bit of an update because we had talked, I think, when the, the Herald News had first broken, you know, the receivers that we have coming back, who is coming back, who isn't coming back. And there was still a little bit of there hadn't been a I think there still hasn't been a public comment made about Braden Smith, who, you know, showed promise early last year and then got hurt. We didn't see him at all. And then it last March, uh, this March was arrested and charged with fourth degree assault and, and harassing communications. And then we just kind of like didn't hear anything about that. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing we see is he's working out on the Cardinal Stadium field the other day, talking about how his rehab's going. I assume that means that he's still with the program and going to be a member of this team in the fall. And he looked good. And, and let's be real. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not diving into his legal issues. We need him. Like, like we need him to be a big time performer for us this year. No, absolutely. And I, and I assumed that he was going to be a part of the program when Keith Wynn pointed out that during the spring game, he was on the sideline. I mean, he was in street yeah. clothes, but he was there. So I, I don't think that's kind of called into question now. He's still with the team. But I remember one of the, the conversations surrounding the wide receiver room heading into last season, Braden Smith was the guy. I mean, there were a lot of questions as to what kind of production you were going to get from that room as a whole because there were a lot of guys that were largely role players being thrust into bigger positions. But if there was anything, if there was anyone who had any sort of semblance of a quote-unquote go-to role, it was Braden Smith. And so I, I feel like he's kind of a little bit overlooked, and that's only – Probably because he was hurt last wow. year, so I, I think we tend to forget like what the potential we get from him. But Louisville still needs that bona fide deep threat, and it could be Tyler Hudson for all we know. It could be Devon Moore, it could be Chris Bell, it could be D. Wiggins. 
it could be someone on the roster right now, and this conversation is just completely negated by the time football season. But we, but Louisville needs that guaranteed. Every play, you're going to be a threat to go deep and then pull the safeties away from the rest of the field. You mentioned, I mean, now you bring up Devon Mortimer. Are we sure he's good to go now? Is that is that? I mean, there's been no clarity on that front either. I, I assume that no news is. I hate to use the phrase good news, yeah. but no news is good news as far as him being a part of this program and being eligible to play this year. I, I, I feel like that's just the, the way to go about it because there wasn't really a reliable report about when it originally happened. No, there was no like story written. No. From like a reputable news source. It was just, hey, the arrest report, there's an arrest report out there. Seems like that's the guy. And then a couple of the, you know, the, the, the clickbait. Mm-hmm. sites that always do this thing where it's like, well, they was, like auto-generated wait, text yeah was Devon Mortimer arrested like three facts you need to know and then it's like there's no information there whatsoever yeah. outside of the actual arrest report but I mean yeah if you have him that's another guy who could step up I think we're all and I hate to draw this comparison because it didn't work out for us but th- there have been times the last couple of years where we've been like you know one of these guys should step up and shoot the ball pretty well from the outside of the basketball team like one of these guys is going to be good and then it just it has not happened. I feel mm-hmm. like we're kind of doing that a little bit at the wide receiver position where it's like somebody's going to step up significantly and become like the guy. And and we, we thought it was going to be Justin Marshall for two straight offseasons, and that never happened. And it, honestly, like it kind of didn't happen that much last year. Like I know Jordan Watkins was the leading wide receiver besides Marshawn Ford, mm-hmm. but it's not like he – he was a freshman, don't get me wrong. Like he still, I think, showed promise, but it wasn't like he stepped up and just – walked into the shoes that Tutu Atwell left behind. He, he was right. not what you expect to see from a number one wide receiver in an offense like Louisville's. And now <clears> we're just kind of hoping that somebody's going to be that dude this year, and we have no real idea who it's going to be. But th- there are plenty of candidates out there. So I, I, I'm not hitting the panic button on that front yet, but it's certainly something that Hit we have to be aware of. the concern button. The concern button is probably the, the right way to go. But I tell you what, ba- based on the practices that I've been doing watching the spring game, I really think that Tyler Hudson is, is going to be the – I guess the go-to guy. I don't think there's going to be like one guy who dominates the passing game because I'm. I think that they're going to incorporate the run game just as much with, especially with the amount of weapons they have in that running back room. But Tyler Hudson, from what I've seen, is the real deal. I don't, is he going to be a thousand-yard receiver year one? I I don't know. I won't go that far. But he's he's a dude. Love dudes. Uh, he's uh, he's on the roster as number zero right now. I'm looking at the roster. It's so funny that they have Twitter handles and Instagram handles on there. And the first thing I see is Tyler Harrell's still on there as number one, mm-hmm. and his Twitter is Easy Money Ty. I'm like, well, oh, the irony. <laughs> oh, you, you couldn't <laughs> script it. Uh, we got to go to break. We'll come back. Hour number two is on the way next. We have a, a delay over at Jim Patterson Stadium for the Louisville baseball game against Virginia. We're still going to have a Louisville baseball conversation. If you've got questions, text them in 502 414 1450. We'll be right back after this. Back in four o'clock hour now, the Mike Rutherford Show here on 1450 and 96.1. The Big X, Matt McGavick with me in studio over here at the OG Studios in Jeffersonville. Uh, we were talking Louisville baseball was set to kick off its weekend series against Virginia to end the regular season. First pitch was moved up from 6 to 4 p.m. today. 
but they are in a delay. They're now asking fans to leave the stadium. I'm uh, not sure we're going to get this one in. I also just saw a tweet from my guy, Mark Weinberg, who's saying, we're finally seeing a dominant storm cluster in the west of Louisville. The storm is getting better organized and will pose a large hail and 70-mile-an-hour wind threat. Jeez. This track likely takes the storm into the metro area within the next within about 90 minutes. So we'll keep an ear out on that, uh, eye out on that. Everybody stay safe. But looking a little dicey for this Louisville baseball team to get their uh, opening series game against Virginia in. But, Matt, let's talk, I guess, broadly about this Louisville baseball team. I mentioned this is the time of the year where – We've become accustomed to just, even if you aren't on the bandwagon early on, if you're not somebody who lives and dies with this team from February through whenever the season ends, this is the time of the year where you start paying attention. And there was a question on the text line a couple of weeks ago that was saying, you know, I'm one of those fans. I start paying attention once we get closer to the postseason. Give me a quick refresher course on what you need to know about this team. I gave him my spiel. What would you say to just like a general encapsulation of this team, where they are right now, what they do well, what we should be excited about? Well, first and foremost, unlike last year, it it seems that barring some sort of complete and total collapse over the next week and a half, Louisville's in the tournament. Mm, I mean, they're they're up to, I believe, number nine in one of the six major college baseball polls their rpi is currently at number uh number 10 actually even after even after the uh, series lost to virginia tech they came back bdku they're still in good graces with rpi so that's always a big big tool used by the ncaa selection committee as long as they don't get swept by virginia and just look awful in pool play in the hc tournament they're firm they're they're in the ncaa tournament i mean they're to a point where they're looking at not only hosting they're looking at potentially being a top eight seed to where if you advance to the super regional, which is the basically the second round for uh, in the NCAA baseball tournament, you get to host that. Mm. the The big thing about this team, the hitting and the offense in general, phenomenal. This and there, there's been a lot of great Louisville baseball teams come through Jim Patterson Stadium under Dan McDonald. This might be one of, if not the best, collective hitting team that Dan McDonald's ever had. They currently have a batting average just a shade over 300. They've got 78 home runs. I think they've got four or five guys with double-digit homers. And they get on base. They have power. Like every Dan McDonald team, they steal a lot of bases. I think Levi Usher is top five in stolen bases last I checked. He's got like 30-something. They're top 30 for the team in stolen bases. They've got a really good collective offensive unit. Uh, as for the pitching, eh, not so much. They've got a team earned run average of 522, which is 113th in the nation. And okay. there, there are 293 uh, baseball teams operating at the D1 level. That's obviously not what um, a lot of fans around here are expected. I think that's 10th in the ACC last I checked. That, that's, that's been the big bugaboo with this team is that the offense has been there. The pitching has been not, so it's been a barn burner most of the time. But the thing with this team is that they don't do a lot of scoring early but they counter that by doing a lot of scoring late they've been extremely proficient with scoring in the seventh eighth ninth innings they've got i think 17 or 18 come from behind wins this season and they're currently i think 35 and 16 the last i checked so that's half of their wins they're 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 overall mental makeup and not to completely poo-poo on last year's team but the mental makeup of this team and the the mentality of where no matter what the score is we're not out of it is light years ahead of what it was last year so they can look forward to postseason baseball. I am a little bit concerned with how deep of a run they can get. I do think this can be a college World Series team. 
but I think in my personal opinion, that might be their ceiling. Cause I know that because where they play the college world series at TD Ameritrade, and actually it's not called TD Ameritrade anymore. They changed the name, but screw it. I'm going to keep calling it that. Yeah, sure. The way it's, it's a big, if you've never been there, it's basically a major league ballpark. Like Omaha could host a major league team there. It's a beautiful stadium. It's an A plus stadium. I've been there once before and it was an amazing time. It's a large stadium. So teams with good pitching and, typically do the best in Omaha and like if your team that's just if your if your team makeup is power 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 I mean if you got one guy who can consistently drive in 400 yard bombs yard 400 feet bomb foot bombs good lord a four a 400 yard home run would be a long way that'd be a long time Griffey did it once uh, yeah that's true and, and so did Kyle Schwarber one day <laughs> but long story short if m- the most of the teams who win in Omaha once they get to Omaha are teams that usually have top 10 pitching obviously Louisville doesn't have that so that's why some of my concerns are once they get to Omaha they might not make it past that but the offense is so good and they're so consistent and they're so they don't have like a one note identity on offense that I think that that alone can carry them to Omaha I think one of the bigger developments too over the last month is they finally have developed a number one starter. Like Jared Poland has been inserted yep. in that role, I think the last five weeks, and mm-hmm. he's done very well. And it was for a long period of time there, it was you know all three of their weekend starters were giving up you know touchdowns in the first three innings, and it yeah. felt like they were playing. For, if they were going to win a game, it was going to have to be fifteen to twelve, and you're playing out of a six to one hole after the second inning. And Poland stepping up and becoming a reliable Friday night starter. I think he hasn't he hasn't really had a, a terrible start since he's been inserted into that role is a big deal because if right. you do make it out of the regional, it's a th- it's a best of three series. And you're playing against a team who more than likely is going to have a solid pitching staff. You need to have a solid number one starter to go up against that guy in that first game. It, or you're playing from behind the eight ball and you've got to win two in a row with two guys who have been unreliable. Mm-hmm. And you can't expect to beat a good team. 18. I mean, we saw it firsthand against Virginia Tech last weekend. The the pitching was finally okay on the weekend, and the bats kind of disappeared because Virginia Tech's a damn good team. Like that's you're going to run into that at, and, at that level. And another problem with like the bats kind of cooling down over the last couple of weeks, it's directly tied into the fact that Christian Napchek's been out of the lineup with an ankle injury for the past couple of weeks. Like he's he's been the leadoff guy all season long. At, at at one point in time, he was actually leading all of NCAA in runs scored, which is you know good if you want to be a, an offense that consistently scores up a lot of runs. But over the past two weeks. Uh, prior to that EKU game, they were only putting up, putting up like 4.6, 4.7 runs a game. And, and and not to say that Noah Smith and Brandon Anderson haven't done well in place of him because they, they have done well as true freshmen. They've, they've kind of stepped up the occasion, but they're not Christian Napchek. They're, yeah. they're not, they don't have his ability to get on base. They don't have his ability to, to uh, defend. Like This offense sorely misses Christian Napchek, and I don't know – the extent of what his injury is now, I know he was in a walking boot, and for the EKU game yesterday, he wasn't in the lineup, he wasn't on the field, but he did not have the boot on, and just for just for silly reasons, he was playing first base coach a couple times, because I guess one of the assistants was on the road recruiting, I assume that's why hmm. they weren't there, but he he was walking around, he looked relatively fine, I would assume that they're not going to play him unless they absolutely need to, or unless he's perfectly fine, so... If they win this Virginia series and they look perfectly fine in ACC play, like if they split pool play and win this Virginia uh, series, I don't think we see Christian Apchek until the NCAA tournament starts. If they are getting to a point where they're kind of struggling a little bit in this Virginia series or if they really need offense in a hurry, they might 
put him in as a pinch hitter or a pinch runner just to get him kind of going. But if they're able to just keep going without him until he's 100% healthy, I don't think we're going to see that. We had a text uh, in the last hour that said, baseball question for Matt, any injury updates for the Louisville baseball team? You updated NapCheck. Is, is there anybody else who we need to kind of know their status heading into this crucial stretch of the end of the regular season and start of the postseason? I think that is – I know JT Benson was out for a while. Was it Benson? I know someone was out of the lineup for a while because they had a – a broken jaw after colliding in the outfield, but I think they're back. It might be JT Benson. I'd, I'd have to double check on that. But other than that, and Christian Napchik, that's really it. They're going into. It feels like for the first time in a few years, they're going into the postseason as healthy as they can be. I mean, obviously they're not at a hundred percent health because uh, Napchik is still out. But it's not like you're missing someone like completely crucial to a deep postseason run. The other thing that makes me feel at least somewhat comfortable with going into the postseason and this team's ability to, to you know make a run out of the regional, hopefully out of the super regional into all the way to Omaha is you have a solid closer in Michael Prosecki. Who's, I know he missed the the series a couple of weeks ago with the, I think he was one of the kids who had the, was it, I don't know if it was COVID or if it was a stomach bug or what was going so, on. They got food poisoning from Carabas. Oh, well, that's what the issue was. That's why they were missing a few people from that series because uh, there was food poisoning. So it wasn't COVID. It wasn't any other sickness. They were sick. It just wasn't COVID. But having him, <laughs> I, I think, I think really, really helps. Just you know, we've all we've had a, a nice history of having reliable closers over the years. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, we do have a little bit of a, a weird postseason history where those reliable closers somehow become not reliable mm-hmm. at the, the most important of times. But having him, I think, is is nice. Having Poland and Prosecki as the one and the starter and the finisher for that first game, regardless of its regional, super regional, Omaha championship series, what have you is is comforting like that's been a nice development over the course of the season everybody else has been it's it, you know it's it is what it is yeah it's, it's, nice to have, it's nice to have them as the tone setter but then you need everyone else to kind of step up uh texas it was jt benson with the jaw that's right um texas says matt what do you think the chances are that we land lowly the dt can you give your opinion on who you think we could target if we don't get him and what you think of those players i mean Based on hard left turn there, but yeah, that's okay. No, no, seriously, it's, it's but hey, I'll, I'll take a hard left turn. Wait, it's, it's how the show works. I mean, based on what I've heard, it seems like they're in a, in good graces with Lole. I honestly thought, based on what I heard, that this he might have pulled the trigger a couple days ago. So now that it's been a few days, it's it's if you're Louisville, it's kind of concerning that he it appears he's going to now. If he does, if he he could very well pull the trigger today, but if it's if you're Louisville, it is a little bit concerning that he's apparently going to go on his other three visits and going to leave Louisville without a commitment. But the three visits, I believe it's Florida and then Texas Tech and then Oregon. Yes, those okay. are three. So, yeah, because the, the general consensus from people who I trusted was like, we think we're going to get a commitment from him on this visit or immediately after it. Right. And that hasn't happened. Should I be freaking out? Should we be freaking out? Or is this still, are we still in decent shape here? It, it seems like they still lead. But it is a little bit concerning that he's going to take the rest of his visit, apparently. Yeah. Because he still has the rest of today. Because he visits, I believe, Florida tomorrow, okay. starting tomorrow. So if he, if they don't get a commitment for, for today, you have to be a little bit worried that he's going to pull the trigger on one of these other visits. And the second part of that question, if we don't get him, is there somebody else out there that we target to try to bolster that defensive front? Or are we just kind of good? Was this, was this like a, a late-in-the-game, nice little bonus present that would have made the defense that much better, but we're not really looking for it's not a if we don't get him, we have to take somebody else. I, I, I don't think there's anyone else that warrants like hundred percent take like Lole sure. does. Like sure there's other people out there who could be serviceable, but Lole is like the one because Louisville right now is at the eighty five man scholarship limit. Like Lole is the one guy who 
you would take and have to unfortunately give the bad news to someone that hey we don't have room for you on here like i think at that point Matt Coburn, you're gone (laughs) sorry i think if they don't land him i think they i don't want to say should be good because i mean nose tackle is a little bit of a bit of a concern but i don't think if you if you if you don't land him you don't try and make efforts to land someone else because you missed out on him that makes sense i mean we clearly need help up front we need the pass rushing last year was bad when we weren't just sitting back and only rushing three anyway. Mm-hmm. But he is a guy, like, I think I said this when we were talking about him before his visit. It makes me feel better about the defense. It's it's not an addition that makes me think this is going to be a team that just dramatically jumps from like seven wins to nine wins. I think that they're going to be who they are regardless. See, I, I but think it certainly I think, is a big deal. I think it, it very well could because he, he, he impacts the middle so much. I mean, this was a guy who was voted as the number two interior offensive, interior defensive lineman in all of college football before he had his triceps injury uh, to start the 2021 season. Mm-hmm. I think he could because if you have. You can get all the pressure in the world on the edges, but you can kind of, if you're a quarterback, kind of maneuver the pocket a little bit. Eventually, they're going to get you, but it's a little bit more maneuverable if you're a quarterback getting pressure on the edge versus getting pressure right in your face. Because if you're getting pressure right in your face, you have to take that into account and like really put forth a concerted effort to move and get out of the way. And then maybe you run into, say, an Ashton Gelati or a Yaya Diaby or Yasir Adula. So I think his addition has huge implications on this defense because then you've you've kind of solidified the defensive line to where you, you can kind of rely on it to get somewhat consistent pressure. The middle linebacker core or just the linebacker core in general, you don't have a whole a whole bunch of question marks about I know you, you know you see is gonna be a dude. It's gonna be interesting to see Ben Perry in his first year moving from safety to card, but by all means he should handle that transition well mm-hmm. because that's a position he played in high school as well. Middle linebacker, you hope Monty Montgomery is fully healthy and you would think that Someone who's played in the SEC should transition seamlessly from CJ Everett to Momo Sonogo. And this might be a little bit of a hot take, what I'm about to say. Uh, I'm excited for it. I think the secondary is going to be good next year. Okay. Because you've got Keytro Clark, or Keytro Clark, I always butcher his name. <laughs> More name butchering on this it's show. It's key. You got it. You nailed it. You got him, and he's, I think, the best man to man corner that Louisville's had since Jair Alexander, who he's just got there. paid, by the way. And then you've got Quincy Riley, who was one of the top DBs in the group of five. You've got Jarvis Brownlee, who is very boom or bust. I mean, he had a lot of downs where he got burnt. But then he was arguably their uh, Florida State's top defensive back outside of Jamie Robinson, who was a first-team All-ACC safety. So you've got three guys you can kind of cycle in there. And then you've got, at nickel, Trey Franklin looked promising. He had that kind of spurt in the middle of the season where he had a couple of interceptions, and he looked like a meaningful contributor. And then you look at the safeties that they brought in. They've got MJ Griffin, who the coaching staff has gloated about uh-huh. this entire offseason. And then you've got a couple other safeties in there, like Jalen Alexander, uh, Nicario Harper. They, by all means, should be meaningful contributors. So I'm not saying this, the secondary is going to be the strength of the defense, but this could be, honestly, a middle-of-the-pack ACC secondary. And we've got Kendrick Duncan's back, too. Yes. Correct. And him. He's... I think that's a big deal, getting him back. He was, you know, they say it's never a good thing when you've got a, a safety having as many tackles as he did, but he played up a lot. Like he was a he was a surefire tackler. I think he played. He had a good season last year. Mm-hmm. I know Keith Wynn says he thinks Quincy Riley can be, can make as much of an impact as Keetrell Clark did when he originally got here. Like he thinks he could be that good. So having somebody, I mean, we I think we all kind of assumed that the guy opposite Trey Clark was going to wind up being uh, Greedy Vance because he, mm-hmm. I mean, after looking 
rough when he got thrown out there the first half of last season. Really showed promise and really showed improvement at the end of last year. And then he had a family emergency that made him transfer seven hours away from his family. Mm -hmm. But what are you going to do? But if Riley is as good as Keith thinks he can be, you're right. Like the secondary should be better. It at least should not be as much of a liability as it has been. It it shouldn't be the 90th or 91st secondary in in uh, FBS. It it it's. I think it realistically could be like. 50th or 60th in past defense and if you can get that and have a defensive line that kind of steps up in production if they get Lole and if you can get the linebacking core to produce like they have over the last couple seasons the defense I don't want to say it's going to be the best side of the ball for Lola because obviously that that's obviously going to be the offense but you don't think if you're Louisville that you have to score like 30 35 40 points to win a game do you think Jermaine Lole when I think about him, and not the circumstances of, of why he's transferring and why he's available right now, I think about Devontae Fields when we got him and, and sort of the, I think, presumed impact that he was going to make. And people forget, just because he wasn't like a first-round NFL draft pick, I think he was pre- he ended up being preseason ACC player mm-hmm. of the year defensively, which was not fair. But he was still a first-team All-ACC contributor who made that defense markedly better. Oh, yeah. If I'm saying Jermaine Lolay less impact more impact same type of impact as Devonte fields i know that they do different things where do you go with that i've I've only seen a limited amount of reps from him at, at arizona state because that first in 2020 is when his first year when he went from an end to a three technique interior defensive lineman and then obviously in 2021 he didn't play at all because he was injured but from what i've seen i don't want to say he's going to surpass fields in the amount of production but i think he can be on par with that maybe maybe a little bit behind him but if you're if you're Getting someone anywhere close to a Defonte Defonte Fields level player into this scheme, considering what you've had at nose tackle the last three years, you'll take it. I mean, this was a guy who, before he got hurt last year, there was some thought that he was going to go ahead and bounce to the NFL after the season and be one of the earlier defensive players taken in the draft. Like, had he not gotten injured, he he would have gone for sure. And I think now that's he's absolutely coming to wherever he's going to go with that mindset: go somewhere, kill it for a year, be a first round draft pick, and. I know that was kind of the mindset that Devontae Fields had, too. It was different. I mean, he had off-the-field stuff that was gross and mm-hmm. was, was going to follow him around. This is more about Lole trying to prove that he's over the injury. He can be the player that he looked like he was right. in 2019, and he's going to have to show it at a big-time level. And Louisville, I mean, look, you're going to get a lot of reps here if you want to go. Oh, yeah. There's no question about it. A quick uh, PJ Championship update. How about that? Rory McElroy still on top, 500 par. Coming for it. Will Zalatoris, uh, me and intern Jacob, who was supposed to be over here today. I don't know where, where Jacob ended up coming. He did, didn't make it out across the bridge, I guess. Uh, we were making fun of uh, Zal being like the worst putter we've ever seen. Like maybe the only PJ golfer who I could compete with in a putting contest. I think he's 260th <laughs> out of 266 players. Uh, he's four under, time with, tied with, uh, uh, is it Hoagie or Hodge? Tom Hodge? Hoagie? I don't know. I think it's Hodge. I think you're right. Matt Kuchar, the Cooch, is three under as well. And Abraham Answer is tied with him at three under. I don't even know. Chris Kirk or Mito Pereira, who are at two under as well. Yeah, I don't even follow golf like that. I I sometimes pay attention to the the majors like the Masters, PGA Championship, things like that. It, Tiger's out, isn't he? Didn't he? No, he's not, playing. Oh, he is playing. Yeah, okay. he started off great. People were freaking out. My buddies were like, "It's over. He's won." He finished four over today. Oh, yeah. Had a nasty flubbed chip late in the round where it was off. Like didn't come close to making it on the green. It was it was a bad. Look. What's the cut? Well, we'll find out tomorrow. Oh, yeah, true. I think we still got golfers on the course right now. Who did we pick uh, in my fantasy league? We picked Colin Morikawa. Let's see where he is. Oh, even par after five. Okay, I'll take it. Whatever. 
Um, Justin Thomas, if, in case you're wondering. Adam Hadwin, by the way, even par as well. Former Cardinal golfer Justin Thomas, two under through six. He's off to a good start. A lot of people say that this course shapes up perfectly for him. Uh, he's those high irons. He's a, he's a great shot maker on par fours. Um, we'll see. Would love to see the uh, the local boy kill it again. Uh, Thornton's text line again, 502-414-1450. Texas said, I heard that Trez is replacing Tyler Harrell. <laughs> Would love that. Texas says, middle of the pack ACC secondary can't be a good thing. I mean, it's better than it was last year. We're talking degrees of good here. Yeah. We're, we're talking, we're, we're just trying to get up off the mat when it comes to that. Texas RIP Gus Bus to the Ville. I, I did see that. I haven't addressed <laughs> it. Um, I know you pointed it out. Gus Yaldon, who stole my heart last June, I believe it was, calling himself the Gus Bus, looking like, I don't know, uh, the starting center on a 7th and 8th grade C team, but somehow being a four-star college mm-hmm. basketball prospect was offered by Louisville under the former staff. I don't think that Kenny Payne and company reached out, but he is going to Wisconsin. The dream has died. Uh, Gus Bus will be playing in the Big Ten, which, let's be real, was always his destiny. Yeah, he, he was always going to play at Wisconsin. When he came out of the womb, they're like, that kid's he's playing center at Wisconsin. He's going to be a badger. He was born with a block of cheese in his hand. He's going to have a buzz cut once he gets to college. Um, Trevor has texted in to say that in the 80s, an Auburn booster paid a former Alabama player to publicly tell that Bama paid him while he was there. <laughs> Look, it's the it's the world's greatest sport. It, it's the just the the, the it's fantastic. Uh, Dude, has has Saban gone on the radio yet to address this? Uh, it's supposed this to be at four thirty. Four thirty. Okay. Um, let me see. Let me find out the details because I saw a tweet right before I left the house that was saying, "Well, now Saban's going on the radio for he will be on uh, XM College Radio channel eighty four this afternoon at four thirty p.m." According to both Rick Neuheisel and Sean Farnham, so wouldn't it, wouldn't it be something if he just didn't address this at all and just was going about his business like it was a normal? Line. Yeah, we're talking about SEC scheduling, potentially adding Texas and Oklahoma. Let's see how we're going to. Should we get rid of divisions, Coach? Uh, what do you think about divisionless football? Who would you like to be your permanent opponents if you could only have three in the SEC? Texas A and M. The guy who always texts in about Trevor watching anime is texted in. So, so Trevor hasn't watched anime with me in two hours. I need y'all to make up for the loss. I don't understand that what this person's always texting about. I love it, though. It's my favorite thing. I think it creeps Trevor out, which is amazing because nothing creeps Trevor out. So this guy, please keep it up. Every time. He's always like, because <laughs> he told a story one time where he was like, he's like, my actually, one of the weirdest nights I had was when Trevor came over to my house and we watched anime for like three hours. And I was like, I just took it seriously. And then I asked Trevor about it. And Trevor's like, I've never watched anime in my entire life. And it's become a thing now. Hey, we got to keep the chick up. Texas asked Matt about his golf skills. I hear his girlfriend oh, kicked his ass no. at Top Golf. Is that your girlfriend texting in? Probably. Did yeah. you did you lose to your girlfriend at Top Golf? Confirm or deny? I did. But uh, let me defend myself. I was going Please for do. the long the long game. I was trying to hit that sucker as hard as I could, and I'm not a good golfer at all. So, yeah, that, that I I was she beat me. I mean, I'll admit it. I'm a man. I'm 40. Sounds bad. That's not good. Uh, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, uh, Scott Satterfield made some news today via. I mean. As only he could. Only one person could have reported this. It was Tim Sullivan. Notice something behind Scott Satterfield. UK fans are enraged. Some Louisville fans are taking it uh, kind of the way I am. Some aren't. We'll talk about that after the break. It's the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 and 96.1, The Big X.
Welcome back in. Thursday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show rolling on here on a uh, ominous looking outside right now, at least here in Jeffersonville, Indiana. Thursday afternoon, the storms are about to roll through the metro area, it sounds like. We've been talking all sorts of stuff here. Matt McGavick of Louisville Report with me in studio over here at the OG Studios. We are going to do the drawing for today's winner of the uh, Bourbon Beyond Louder Than Life tickets. We'll do that uh, 5 o'clock hour. I've got to chop up the names. Uh, did not make that. But props <laughs> to everybody who uh, who sent the name. I've got your names down. I just have not separated them. And we'll let uh, we'll let Matt draw that. We'll make, we'll have a good time with that coming up in hour number three. Oh, yeah. I, I want to talk about, this is what, every time I get on Twitter, my mentions are blowing up with. And quick, uh, quick word, Louisville baseball is still in a delay. Probably not going to. I think we'll probably be off the air before we probably. we realize if Louisville baseball is going to get this game in tonight. If, if I was a betting man, which I am, but I suck at it, I would say they play a doubleheader tomorrow. Seems like a, and they already had the early start time. I think it was a 2 o'clock first pitch tomorrow. I know it was earlier. Or was I, it 4 tomorrow? I think it was 4. Four tomorrow. I think it's six tomorrow actually, because because it, it, it had a weird. I thought start it was time six was... four noon was what I thought it was. I, I could will, be wrong. I will double check for you. Um, but regardless, probably yeah. going to get an earlier start time tomorrow, and, and a doubleheader seems more likely than not at this point. But I, I want to talk about the, the Scott Satterfield thing. That it's not the biggest thing in the world, but look, it's May nineteenth. We're going to talk about it. Summer radio, baby. <laughs> it's where we are. It's where it's where we are. It's who we are. It's what we do. Tim Sullivan, of course, it had to be Sully. He interviewed Satterfield in a conference room at Cardinal Stadium, and he asked to, he put this detail on Twitter for all to see. He said, behind him was a board with U of L's 2022 opponents. The logo for Kentucky was upside down. Satterfield said this was the work of a graduate assistant. Ah, rivalries. <laughs> Again, not the biggest deal in the world. I don't want to make it out like it is the biggest deal in the world. They do the L's down. We've. I, I feel like I saw the logo down upside down one point in time. Like it, it may have been last season all in a, in a picture. Like this is nothing new. We, we do this all the time. Mm-hmm. Having said that, I have to admit this is a personal thing, and maybe it's because the rivalry matters more to me than it should. Uh, I don't think I'm alone in that, but it, it annoys me when I see something like this. I, I don't get, I, I prefer it to just ignoring the rivalry, which is kind of what he did the first year or not understanding it, which mm-hmm. I still don't understand how that even was possible. But it would play a lot better with me if you're doing the UK upside down logo and UK sucks. And I mean, he tweeted after the St. Peter's game, making fun of UK. Yeah. All that stuff would play a lot better with me if we hadn't lost the last three games, including the only two coached by Scott Satterfield by a combined 16,734 points. Because... My entire life, my entire life, virtually, Louisville has been better than Kentucky football. And a lot of those years, we weren't all that good either. But we could always point to them and say, at least we're better than our rival. Ha, ha, ha. We may be going 5-3 and three in Conference USA, but we're still keeping the, kicking the, the bleep out of the SEC's doormat in, in UK. And now, for the first time in my life, like we're not terrible, but UK is not just beating us. They are beating our brains in. And they're throwing the L's down, and they're coming into our city and taking our recruits. And they're more of a national player than we are. And it, it's gotten to a point now where, like, I don't care about Scott Satterfield saying, like, I understand the rivalry now and, you know, doing the things like we're going we're gonna to come smack him in the face and we're, we got an upside-down logo and, ha-ha, you lost to St. Peter's. Win the game. Hell, stay within four touchdowns. Yeah. It's driving me crazy that it, it, it's it, – it's not a small thing that you were favored to beat them on your home field in the regular season finale, and they could have scored 85 points on you if and they, they got blitzkrieg. It's going to stick with people. It has stuck with me. And I know that it's just one game. I know it's just a rivalry. I know that this is a silly thing. But 
it's not nothing. And like win the game. Take Just it seriously. Win the, yeah. win the game. Be competitive for God's sake. It, like the I've said it before. I know UK fans make fun of it. I don't blame them. The him complaining about whining about the L's down. Mm-hmm. I use Trevor's phrase uh, word. He loves saying whining. He whining about the L's down at midfield was embarrassing. Like I, I saw it, and I'm like I, I pray to God that he's not complaining about that thing because no. is it annoying that they do it? Sure. Is it funny when they do it when they're losing, which is something that has happened multiple times over the years? Absolutely. Yeah, it's hilarious. But when they're doing it because we can't stop them and Will Levis is doing it and he's holding up the number of touchdowns that he scored while he's throwing L's down, like that is beyond embarrassing. This is not like Satterfield has to understand that people, I'm not even going to say people of our age, people of any age have grown up their entire lives with us being the superior program. Unless you were around when we were playing those first six games that Kentucky fans love talking about back in 1902 when they were beating us after we played the YMCA club, mm-hmm. like everybody else. <clears throat> has existed for most of their life with Louisville being the superior program in the state. And for us to be so far behind on the field, for us to have lost these last three games by, I don't even know what the score is. I know UK fans probably know it by heart at this point. 52-21. Good God. It's embarrassing. And it, it, it is not a non-factor when it comes to the overall satisfaction level of Scott Satterfield. Now, if Sat was, if he had gone 9-3 and three last year, if he had gone 8-3 and three in the COVID year, on top of being ACC Coach of the Year in 2019 and still had lost those two games to Kentucky the same way that we did, would I be more willing to look past it and say, yeah, this sucks and it needs to be corrected, but we're doing all these other things. I can recognize that, of course. It is an added factor to me being weary of year four with Scott Satterfield and weary of what we're going to do if we give him another year after a potentially five and seven, six and six, seven and five season just because of the recruiting class. He has to at least show, and I know it's just one game, you've got to at least be competitive with them this year. I know they're going to be good again. I know we're playing them on their home field. I know it's the end of the year. I know Malik Cunningham is a running quarterback whose legs can get tired in, in November. I know people get worn down, injuries happen, all that stuff. You can't lose the way you've lost to them the last two times. We, we can't lose to them the way we've lost the last three times. It is time to be rectified. Mm-hmm. It's time. No, I agree. I, I largely agree with you. The only thing that I can even remotely maybe – play devil's advocate too is that it seems that in the last year or so he's starting to more so embrace the rivalry because like you said it seemed like the first year he had no idea what it was he was confused by it. he didn't want it he which i still don't understand how yeah, you can do that i, I didn't it's, i've lived in the city my whole life you can't go a day without somebody being like, hey who do you think is gonna win the football game next year and i'm like well it's may 18th i don't know but this is what we yeah. talk about yeah no the, it, it, at least he's come around to accept that this is a major happening in the city, not just in the sports realm, but just a part of everyday life and culture in Jefferson County. At least he's come around to that. But you got to win the game, like you said. Not not even just win the game. Like, just don't get your ass kicked. Don't get your ass kicked. It, it's, it, it also kind of puts me in a position where I'm thinking that, and, and maybe it is genuine, maybe this all this stuff is is him trying – I feel like he's playing to the fans when he does stuff like this now because he was so aloof when it came to the rivalry in year one. And I, I know it was his first year. I know he's never been around here. Yeah. I know he did. He's like, and he said all the right things afterward. I didn't really understand the right. I don't understand how you can do that. I, like, you have a lot of coaches who will go to places who have never had any sort of you know affiliation with that school or their arch rival who still right from the bat are going to be like, we're going to beat West Virginia. And, like, you know, Pitt fans will go crazy. Or, you know, we're going to beat Ohio State. Michigan. Probably yeah. a bad example. But <laughs> you see what I'm saying. 
Yeah. Like, you have to at least like, do your research before you come to a place like that. Recognize yeah. how much this means to people and don't, after you lose, I mean, like, the, the first year he was here was a toss-up game. Mm-hmm. The spread, the Kentucky was favored by like, what, three or something? And we, you know, Lynn Bowden could have rushed for 600 yards if he wanted to. He did whatever he wanted to. And then last year, we're, you know, this is the year where he really understands it. This is why it's going to be different. And that entire week, I asked Trevor, I asked the text line, I said, I want to be as confident as you guys are. Give me some reason to believe why this is going to be markedly different than it was two years ago because on paper it feels like it's kind of the same setup here. And guess what? Wasn't different at all. The most common reaction that I got was people saying Satterfield understands the rivalry now and he's going to have these guys ready to play. And we're going to be like they were when when Lamar Jackson was here and they were trying to start fights before the game. Like, they're, they're you know, anything it takes. And we came out and we looked like we couldn't have cared less. And it, it is inexcusable to me to have that time. We look scared. Like, they smacked us in the face early on. We went back and forth for one touchdown, one touchdown. And you're thinking, okay, maybe it's going to be a shootout. We had one little thing go wrong, that one little dust-up. Malik gets hit a little bit. He gets, he gets rattled. Everybody then gets rattled, and everybody wilts. And it, that cannot happen in a game that means so much to so many people and has so much ramification in this state. If we want to get back to owning the city of Louisville and recruiting and every now and then going out in the state and beating these guys for some four-star kid that maybe just wants to play at the superior program mm-hmm. and have a better chance at, at being on a national spotlight, you, you can't lose like that. You can't look like you're so vastly inferior. And it's never been that way my entire life, and it's why stuff like this gets blown up. I, it, I, and, I, and I understand the people who are saying, well, you'd be upset if you know he didn't say anything at all. Like He's understanding Probably, yeah. Like he's he is. He, I recognize the fact that he's in kind of a no-win situation. You know how you rectify that? You don't lose by nine every time you play these dudes. If there's anything you can kind of give Scott Satterfield in this situation is that before that Kentucky game, the last one, he found out an hour before kickoff. His I know. Dad died. That's that's it's, the it's one very thing point, for sure that I can circle back to. Now, does that explain the entire performance of the team? No, but I can tell you right now, if I was in issues and I found out that my father passed an hour before kickoff, coaching a football game on a national stage is the last place I'd want to I'm not be. sure I could have done it, for I, sure. I, I got to give props to him to being able to get through that. But that being said, at some point you have to stop being the nail. You have to be the hammer. Mm-hmm. That you cannot continuously let not only just Kentucky, but SEC teams or teams who have a supposed like more physical imposing nature on you run over you because we saw in the Ole Miss game that that game was over by halftime. Like Ole Miss just used their physical nature and just imposition to just steamroll Louisville, and then they just kind of coasted the finish line in the second half, and it made it look closer than it really was. And then the same thing happened against Kentucky to end the season. I want to think that maybe adding Ben Souders as the strength coach can maybe kind of rectify that a little bit, but that's at the end of the day, it's just the strength coach. Right. You have there has to be like a top down from the top up down kind of culture change. Like we have to be physically imposing and punch their teeth in any chance we get. Not just against your rival, but against anyone. And it's football. It's a tough, physical, hard natured game. If you don't have that against everybody, you might as well not have it at all. I totally agree. I, I think your your point about Satterfield's dad is not lost on me. Like, yeah, it's and, and I the day after the I guess the Monday after the game, I was very upset about the post game press conference where it seemed like he was just kind of in a daze and said the wrong thing. He just gave every canned response he could, and then I found out what was going on. Like I, I, I had known throughout the season that his dad was dealing with something. That those words mm-hmm. were kind of out there, and then to hear that he had found out right before the game, like 
I completely understand why the press conference went the way it did. I think that there's it certainly partially excuses some of the things that happened during the game. It doesn't entirely excuse what happened during the game because the team didn't know, I don't think. And the team should have still been more. If you have that entire week to get them ready for that game, regardless of what your demeanor is on the sidelines, you've yeah. got a lot of assistants out there. You've got a lot of guys who are pumping themselves up. You still shouldn't wilt the way that we wilted them. Yeah, you had an entire week of preparation. You, you should have been ready to go if the coach was not there. Granted, the coach kind of helps control the, the flow and the game plan and whatnot. But if you've spent the entire week getting ready for the opponent, digesting the game plan and things like that, you, in theory, should be rearing to go. And beyond that, more to your point, Every time we've played a team the last three years that has had kind of like a bully mentality, like, like a Miami, a Kentucky to a degree, Ole Miss certainly, we have looked like we're scared a lot of times. Like, like we get, we have become a team that I think gets punched early on and then doesn't punch back until the fight's already over. Like we've made some of the, like we made that Miami game on game day a little bit closer than it should have looked late. Mm-hmm. Um, the Ole Miss game, like you said, the same way. Kentucky, we, we haven't even made it look good at the end. But we, I, I guess we've like held them under 80, which is some sort of win. But yeah. we have not had that old – and I know it's such a lazy fan thing to do, but we haven't had that old Charlie Strong mindset where it's like we're, like we're the dudes who get off the bus that you're scared of. We're the dudes who pregame warm-ups, we're barking at you, and you don't want – like you're terrified of the game to start. We haven't – I have not felt that way about a Louisville team in a – a long time, because honestly, the, the latter teams under Petrino also weren't that way. The, the 2017 team with that defense just was not, they weren't scaring anybody. We knew we, we knew three weeks into that season we were going to have to beat everybody 62-50 to 50 if we are going to win against right. a quality opponent. And then 2018 was a colossal, colossal failure, and we have not gotten that mindset back since Scott Satterfield got here. It's why all this stuff, it's why I think this year is so crucial for so many reasons. I'm not saying that. Because I don't know what Josh Hurd or whoever the athletic director is is going to do if we have that awkward situation where we go 6-6, six and six, we beat who we're supposed to beat, we lose to who we're supposed to lose, and it's just a whatever season, or even 5-7 and seven or 7-5. Seven and five. Like, no, But nobody's going to have – you're going to have people who are in favor of keeping him just to get these recruits on campus and see what they can do because it's exciting. We've never recruited like this. But I think you're also going to have not a whole lot of people who just have faith in Scott Satterfield's ability to take this program back to where it was, not that – Far, like not that long ago, and where we expected to be. Like, we haven't been a, I know we were ranked in the top 25 for a moment during the COVID year, but we haven't really been a top 25 program since Lamar left. Right. And it just adds fuel to that notion that, well, they were a flash in the pan since they joined the ACC because they had a generational type talent at quarterback and, I mean, a generational type talent at cornerback on the other side of the field. Yeah. And even then, they didn't win 10 games ever. Like, I, it's why I have, and I don't know what your bar is. Trevor and I have talked about this already. If they go 6-6, six and six, I understand why there'll be pressure on whoever makes the decision to keep Scott Satterfield. I wouldn't be in favor of it just because, cool, like we, we get one of the best recruiting classes of all time. What has this guy shown me that leads me to believe that he can do anything with them? Like I don't want to go, what good is getting Pierce Clarkson and DeAndre Moore and Madden Sanker and Javen Simpkins and all these guys if the best this guy can do with them is maybe go 8-4? and four? I, call me an eternal optimist. Call me a dreamer. Having been through multiple seasons where Louisville has flirted with playing for a national title, I still want to see this program at one point before I die win a national championship. Like, I, And I think that should be the goal. I'm not saying we're going to be a perennial powerhouse, but we should at least be in the conversation every now and then. And right now we are so far removed from it, it's embarrassing. Yeah, and, and kind of building off that, what what is your – and you might have addressed this on the, on the show yesterday, but – what was your reaction to seeing that? I think it was FanDuel or Caesars or one of those no, uh, casino yeah. outlets put forth 
the win totals, the over-under win totals for the ACC, and Louisville's at five and a half. I was surprised. I thought so it would be I six was too, and a half. Because I, I kind of look at the schedule, and I don't have it in front of me, but there's at least three or four teams on that schedule where I can just automatically look at and think, Louisville should win this. And there's a handful where it's kind of toss-ups. And then, of course, there's like three games on there where you think it's going to be an automatic loss. I hate to say it, but Clemson, Kentucky, maybe NC State because apparently they're supposed they're going to be they're going to be really good again. But I I want to hammer the over on five and a half. I really do because I truly think that this team can reach eight, hell maybe nine wins if everything goes their way. If they can finally flip these one score losses from being from being losses to wins. Win against the games you're, you're win the games you're supposed to win, and then take one of these games against an opponent that you're supposed to lose to and steal a win from somebody. Yeah. I truly think that this can be an eight, best case scenario nine win team next year. I'm with you, but it all still has to come together. the The offense has to can just be continuously go and just march down the field. The defense has to be able to stop somebody and not just give up fourth quarter lead, uh, blown fourth quarter leads. And then the coaching, we saw some progression of it last year, but there were times where the coaching on both sides of the ball disappeared completely. Now, they, they have made an effort to kind of replace the coaching staff, and I know a lot of fans out there are still wondering why Brian Brown still has a job. I still believe in him. But given all of the talent that Louisville is bringing in now on defense and who they could bring in if Lole decides to commit, if this is another team where the defense can't stop anybody, it might be seriously time to start looking at at someone else to call defense. Because I, I like Brian Brown as a person. I'm I've sure had to God. plenty of conversations. Four years would be yeah, way too much. Yeah, I've I've had plenty of conversations with him. He's a great guy. He 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 he's he knows what he's doing from a football standpoint. But if this is another year, given the amount of quality pieces, because you can look at this defense from an individual standpoint and realistically think that a handful of these guys will be. In the in the conversation for first second team all ACC like sure. Yasir Abdullah, Keechel Clark, maybe Monty Montgomery if he's fully healthy and Ashton a couple, Gelade, I mean, could potentially he, blow he up. very well could and then let let's not sleep on Yaya Diaby too because I know he he didn't have a ten sack season like he said he was going to but he still led the ACC if I remember correctly led the ACC in quarterback pressure or quarterback carries or something like that so while he wasn't getting to the pocket he was in the area of the um, pocket he was getting there so if he can kind of do the defensive end equivalent of flipping those one-score losses using a really bad analogy here, but you know what I'm saying. If he can try and convert those into, into tackles for losses and sacks. Oh, breaking news. Jordan Addison's going to USC. Oh. Ooh. Shocker. Yeah, I know. Seriously. <laughs> Anyways, um, there's a lot of individual guys on this defense who are first-team all-ACC talents. It just has to gel together. And if this is another season where Louisville has all these individual pieces of defense but collectively can't get it done, there needs to be moves. Yeah, my issue is the conversation that, that we're having, the conversations that we've been having on the show, the conversations that we're going to continue to have, I think, for the last four months, are going to sound eerily similar to the ones that we had from April through August of last year. And the reality, I mean, after a wildly disappointing season mm -hmm. where there were – like logical excuses. Like if, if Louisville had turned had flipped the script last year and gone eight and four or nine and three, it would not have been difficult to figure why out why. Right. We would have chalked it up to you know, COVID year. It was a bizarre season for everybody. 
the defense just didn't have time to get together. You know, these, this program is built on culture. They couldn't establish that without having you know, normal offseason, all that stuff. The reality is it didn't get flipped. They underachieved again based on what their preseason prognostications were. Mm-hmm. And the whole, like, if the defense fails again, I know Brian Brown will probably be, like, on the chopping block. To me, it's more on Scott Satterfield because the, the sacrificing assistance thing, that's what you do when things aren't going well after year two. Like, that's when you say, well, it's not me. It, it's them. We just need the right personnel in here, and you're really going to see us take off in these next two years. We've we saw been, Chris Mack do that, and look how that happened. Exactly. We've been sold that the defense is going to be improved for the, the last three years now. And they showed a little bit of improvement in the COVID year. They did not show any improvement last year. There were times where it looked, they looked like a competent unit. But there also were times where the fan, like everybody, like the fans, media, national people saw the exact same thing we did, which was why the hell are you only rushing three on every third down when you're getting lit up by Brennan Armstrong and anybody with a pulse at quarterback? And finally, when Brian Brown, I think, put his pride aside a little bit and relented, they started playing a little bit better. And mm-hmm. it was it was one of those where it was like, good, but also this is making me more mad that this didn't happen earlier. Right. And so if the defense isn't better this year, I get that Brian Brown will be a logical, sacrificial lamb, but I put more of that on Scott Satterfield because he's the one sticking his neck out for this guy. He's the one who's saying, I know he's a rising star. I know what he can do. I know it's going to get better, and you're going to see it this year. And if it doesn't, to me, that's on the head coach. But we'll see. I, I just – here's what I want to believe. <laughs> here's what I want to believe. All right, let's hear it. I want to believe that last year was the product of Scott Satterfield being distracted by what was going on with his dad, that it was the product of what we've said now for the last two years, which is they were so close, they just didn't make a couple of plays. That's football. It's not that they don't know how to win. It's not that they don't – whatever cliche you want to use. It's just law of averages. And eventually that's going to even itself out. And you're going to see it this year. I want to believe that Scott Satterfield got woken up by the fan reaction to the at the end of the season, the conversation that he had with Vince Tyree, the notion that people wanted Jeff Brom in here over him. And the conversation that Jeff Brom is not dispelling ever coming to Louisville. Right. I want to believe that all of those things have inspired Scott Satterfield in a way that he hasn't been inspired since, you know, he was first getting into the business at Appalachian State. And I want to believe that we're going to see the results of that. And if it happens, beautiful. I have said, like, I'm not as high on Scott Satterfield as as a lot of people are right now, or as a lot of people are trying to be right now. Mm -hmm. But I've said this time and time again. I I said this before the Jeff Brom dalliance and and all the stuff that happened in December, which is still very, very strange to me. The best case scenario for Louisville football and Louisville athletics in general is Scott Satterfield being the dude, being the guy. Because if not, you have to start over. And starting mm-hmm. over, I know it's easier now than it was with the transfer portal and all that stuff, but you still have to get a lot of things right that can easily go wrong when you don't have the inherent built-in advantages that you do at one of the, the 15 best programs in the sport. Yeah, and, and if you start over, guess what? This this top 10 recruiting class that Louisville has it's is gone. gone. It's gone. Pierce Clarkson is gone, and all the people who committed to Louisville be, partially because of Pierce Clarkson are gone. I know Pete Thomas is great and has cultivated a tremendous pipeline, budding pipeline to Southern California. But, I mean, you have to assume that if Satterfield's gone, he's probably gone, and then that's gone. You, you, you have to hit the hard reset on everything if you have to fire Satterfield. And, so, and like you said, Louisville, the best case scenario for them is to keep him and to hope that he's able to take Louisville and guide them to, at minimum, a winning season. At yeah. the very, very minimum, guide them to a bowl game and win the bowl game. 
because I I don't think even if he does get to six and six and gets to another bowl game and loses that one. Now I, I know there are a lot of extraneous circumstances at, in the first responder bowl because uh, there were a lot of players that were out. There were a lot of players that were injured. So it was it was an uphill battle. You can't let Air Force throw for two hundred sixty two yards. You can't. You can't. I, I get that they there was an uphill battle going into that game, but you you can't you can't go another year in a row losing a bowl game like getting to 500 only to lose again like you i've gone on record with like i've written a couple written a couple pieces saying that i think this Louisville team can attain eight wins and if things completely break their way get to nine wins i think it's possible it's very possible but when you have that many pieces coming back from a top 16 offense including the most important piece it has to be possible it should be possible because you're not playing we're not playing in the SEC. We're not playing in the Big Ten. It's an ACC that has a lot of teams that look kind of like us. You know, they could go. They could go four and eight. They could go nine and three. Like you've got to start winning those games. Is is the point that I think everybody's mm-hmm. is at right now? I get if you lose. I know I, I ranted about UK and wanting to to bridge the gap there. I understand losing that game. They're right now. They're ahead of us. It's I mean Louisville, painfully Louisville, apparent that they're ahead of us. Kentucky beat Louisville so badly that Will Levis is now in the running for number one overall pick next year. Is put he, that in, put really that into perspective. Is he really though? No. I I feel like Trevor made a great point. I feel like remember the year where people were talking about like Andre Woodson being the number one pick, and like there was a year where Hunter Cantwell people were talking. Like there's oh, a lot man, of time Matt Barkley. That. There was an off season where he was going to be the number one pick. A lot of times you get a little bit of hype based on the way a guy played at the end of the season, especially a guy with a big arm. And then the games actually start, and you're like, okay, the, the, there are a lot of guys who are going to be very good this year that we've never seen play because they've been backing up guys or because they just waited their turn. Like it. I think that's going to even. Not that Will Levis is not good. Not saying that. I just don't, and I could be wrong. I don't look at him and see number one pick. Yeah, is he number next one? Over- Josh Allen. Yeah. Is he number one overall good? I, I know. I, I know what I saw in Cardinal Stadium back in November. I know what I saw, but I've also seen a few other UK games where he did not look like that at all. He didn't. Um, all right, we, we, we can leave it at there because the, the text line has thoughts. We'll share those after the break. 502-414-1450 if you have thoughts. Also, we can react to seeing some of the quotes coming out from the Nick Saban radio interview. That'll be fun. We'll get into all that good stuff coming up in hour number three. It's on the way next here on 1450 The Welcome in. Five o'clock hour here on Thursday, May 19th. It's the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 and 96.1. The Big X, Matt McGavick of Louisville Report, sitting with me in studio over here in Jeffersonville, Indiana. Follow him on Twitter at Matt underscore McGavick. You said people mispronounce your name? I feel like it's pretty easy. You'd be shocked, man. What? Like how? McGavick? McGavick. 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 Some people think there's an R at the end and they say McGavier. I get Rutherford sometimes, but for the most part... (laughs) I also got Weatherford back in the day a lot for some reason. I, don't know. I once got uh, announced as at a uh, baseball game. You know, it was the most bizarre thing. I've heard Rutherford. I've heard some other ones. But it was Michael Sutherland when I came out. <laughs> and coaches called me Kiefer for the rest of the day. I was like, how do you get – I'm blaming it on bad handwriting, I guess. I don't know. 
Um, but Matt McGavick in studio here. We've been talking all sorts of stuff. We uh, ranted about the football team there in the last break. Scott Satterfield getting uh, caught, I guess, by – I don't even know if it was caught. Do, do you think – so we, we were talking about Scott Satterfield doing an interview with Tim Sullivan where Sullivan pointed out on Twitter that behind Satterfield, a listing of the 2022 Louisville football schedule had UK's logo upside down on purpose. I don't think that's a new thing. I guess the one thing that we didn't address – do you think that was intentional? Like Satterfield apparently blamed it on a graduate assistant. Do you think he was aware of it? Or do you think he was just didn't know it was there? Didn't think it was going to be a big thing. Is this just him being aloof again? Or was this intentional? Well, I remember being in the facility for uh, ahead of that game for the end of the regular season. And they were, you know, the typical hate week signage all over the place and, yeah. you know, motivational quotes and things of that nature. So I, at least I think it was intentional from that standpoint. Did I think it was intentional just to pose in the background for a interview with Tim Sullivan? No. I don't either. I, I, I want to believe it wasn't. I think it was just Scott Satterfield sitting down for an interview and kind of forgetting that that was behind him. Yeah. But if it wasn't, I don't know. I, again, he's in a no-win situation because if he doesn't, if he's like, oh, I didn't mean to do it, then I'm like, well, you, you got to take this rivalry seriously. And if he is right. doing it, I'm like, hey, don't lose by 50 every year. So mm-hmm. what are you going to do? 502-414-1450 is the Thornton's text line. We've also mentioned the fact that Louisville baseball was set to kick off its series against Virginia. The, today at 4 o'clock, that has been postponed because of weather that is currently rolling through the area. Hopefully they get that game in tonight. If they don't, we'll see about potentially a doubleheader tomorrow. It's going to be a fantastic weekend at Jim Patterson because these are two of the top offensive teams, not just in the ACC, but in the entire country. And as Matt has said, it feels like if Louisville wins two out of three here, they're almost certainly a lock to host a regional and potentially be a top eight national seed, even though they do all 16 seeds now. Mm-hmm. But We'll have more baseball at Jim Patterson if they win yeah. two out of three this weekend, regardless of what happens next week in the ACC tournament. You're correct. I, I think so too. If if they lose if they lose the series, I think they have to get out of pool play in the ACC tournament. If they lose the series and don't advance to the semifinals of the ACC tournament, they'll make they'll make the NCAA tournament. Like ninety nine percent chance that's happening. But if they they lose the series and they don't make it out of pool play, they're probably not going to host. And fortunately, all they have to do in pool play is just go one and one because. Last I checked in the standings, that might be affected by how the Virginia series shakes out, but they should be in line to at least get a top four seed for the ACC tournament. And the way it's done there is that there are four pools of three teams. And so if the top seeded team in any pool goes one and one, which means the whole pool goes one and one, the top seeded team advances forward. Can you help me with the. The stand, why are the standings so weird in the ACC baseball? Why were there games, a bunch of games canceled that I don't remember? Yep. Because so right now you've got, I guess theoretically you've got four teams, depending on what happens this weekend, who all have the chance to win the ACC Atlantic Division title. You've got Notre Dame at fifteen and nine. You've got Louisville at sixteen, ten and one. You've got Florida State at fifteen and twelve, and NC State at fourteen and twelve. None of these teams have have records that line up. I'd I'd have to go back and check exactly, but I know for a fact that Notre Dame has this really weird thing where they just like to cancel games whenever they see an opportunity. When to. it gets windy, yeah, yeah. When it gets windy, when it gets like a little bit of weather, just a little bit of rain. Oh no, gotta cancel the game. Because then they canceled. They canceled. Uh, after they beat, finally beat us last year, they finally uh, won one game against us and snapped yeah. their 73-game yeah, losing streak. They split the first two games of that series at Notre Dame last year, and then it got just a little bit blustery. And they can stand it. We're yeah. done. We're, we're going out on a high note. And we're then good. Louisville responded right back by practicing on their own field on that day. So ridiculous. <laughs> and then even in the Coastal, you've got Miami on top at 18-9, and then Virginia Tech at 16-9. Like If Virginia Tech sweeps this weekend, like, 
it's going to be a bitter pill if you lose the division but have the exact same number of losses as the champion. Mm-hmm. It's it's a weird thing. But college baseball, again, it's more about getting to the NCAA tournament, seeing what you can do there. Conference get tournaments high. are weird, too, in college baseball. Unless you have to win to get in, there's a reason to not take it that seriously, more right. so than in any other sport, because you want to save arms, you want to save legs, you've got you could potentially play, what, six games, as many as six games in a regional, mm-hmm. um, and that's less than a week away. So I understand. I'm not, I'm not using that as an excuse just because Louisville hasn't won the ACC tournament since we joined the conference, but you can understand why they might not be going full born because in most years they've got a, not just a NCAA tournament berth locked up. They've got like a, a, a national regional seat locked yeah, up. There's not really a real up. need to win the conference just unless you just want to really win it. Yeah. That's really it. Having said that, it'd be cool to win it at oh, some yeah. point. Um Thornton Sex Lines, 502-414-1450. We'll, we'll take a couple of these real quickly, and then we'll talk about what Nick Saban just said. Although I have to mention before we, we get to the text line, the have you seen that the SEC has released an official statement? They did. Oh, they didn't? They have. Oh, God. What, what did it say? I, I had saw someone mentioning it. I didn't read it, though. The SEC, this is via, I think, the On3 network. Hold on, let me pull it up real quick. Uh, the fact that they had to, they felt the need to comment on this is, is kind of hilarious. Um <laughs> The membership of the Southeastern Conference has established expectations for conduct and sportsmanship that were not met last night nor today. There you go. That's it? <laughs> that's it. It's about both Jimbo and Nick Saban. That, that, that's about as useless as the alliance is. Unbl- oh, hey. Don't knock the alliance. Um, Texas says Sean Moth has an opinion on, on Notre Dame canceling so often. Oh, I'm aware. Oh, and I love yeah. it. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, Texas, is Matt actually 40? I would have guessed like 25. You're not 40. No, I'm 29. Where did that come from? I, I have no idea. Do I sound 40? Texas says the same thing happened to me at Top Golf, Matt. I, yeah, I, I believe that's a reference to you losing to your girlfriend at Top Golf. Yeah, that happened. So, yeah, it's not always about the best golfer. Hey, w- once this Top Golf here is actually built, redemption's coming. You're going to own the city. It's all about playing on your home course. I don't even care about owning the city. I want to own Hurstborn Acres. <laughs> Texture says when Brom gets here next year, we'll be able to keep 100% of the 2023 class or just around 75% of it. Um, hey, if anybody could, yeah. it would be Jeff. Texture, this is also solely at its finest, too, though. He's a one sided troublemaker in this rivalry. He always has been. This is, I mean, Sully lives for these moments. You had to have known, like, he saw this upside down Kentucky logo five seconds into sitting down with Scott Satterfield. Probably didn't mention it at all conducted the entire interview with Satterfield with this in the back of his mind, just itching to get this tweet out. And then sure enough, boom, gone. Love it. That's Sully. It's who he is. It's what he does. Texas says it's worth mentioning that UK owns the series record. So the idea that Lou has always been better is more exaggerated than it should be. I get it. UK has won the game more than Lou. Again, they won six games between 1899 and 1912. If you were around for those games, props to you. If you want to count those games, sure. In the modern history of the rivalry, Louisville owns the advantage. If you want to use those six games, though, to prop you up, where Louisville was playing, I think they were like playing three law students and like six actual football players, and then two guys they just picked up off the street. Mm-hmm. Props to you. That the fact that that gets tossed out all that, like all the all the time. I mean, we're talking about games quite literally, not exaggerating, not hyperbole. Over a hundred years ago, they should have no bearing on games that have taken place, the series that has taken place from 1994 and beyond. But. If you want to do right. that, hang your hat I mean, on 80, it. Literal, literally 80-plus years passed before these teams played again. So, I mean, if, if you want to hold those six games, go more power to it you. It blows my mind. It, it still gets used like, well, you can't say that they win more than they, they than UK does because we own the actual series. Well, since I've been alive, since all of us have been alive, mm-hmm. Louisville has won more than Kentucky has. 
Uh, Texas says Louisville's defense is small and only three down linemen. We need a change. What do you make of that? When we like, because that has become kind of a popular notion. Like we, when people look at what the fix is for this defense, which just has not been able to get over the hump and show improvement the last three years, the most common refrain that you hear is "got to get bigger." I don't want to discredit that at all because there is some truth to that, but they have made efforts to try and fix some of those size issues. I mean, look at nose tackle, the position we were just talking about. Uh, Tafik Thomas, he's 6'4". I don't know his exact height. It's somewhere in there, but he's the dude is 330, 340, somewhere in that neighborhood. Caleb Banks, about the same weight, and he's 6'7". And then if 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 Louisville gets Jermaine Lole, I mean, size be damned, he's he's a he's a force of nature. He's proved that in the Pac-12, which I know we like to joke about the Pac-12 all the time, but it's still a, a semi-decent conference. I don't know his exact measurables. I know he's up there in size. But when you look across the board at a lot of other positions, you can make that argument. But I think that they are making an effort to remedy this. And I know I've said it before, and it might be something stupid to kind of hold on to, but I really do think Ben Souter is just going to make at least some bit of a difference. I mean, it's one thing to grab a strength coach from the SEC. It's another to grab a national championship winning coach from the SEC. On the heels of the national championship. Yeah. And he helped... I don't want to say coach because he didn't coach. He was a part of legitimately one of the best defenses we've ever seen in college football. Yeah, no question about it. Like it, I don't know how much strength coaches do or don't help. Yeah, but if you're taking anybody who played a role on a team like the one Georgia had last year, yeah. I think you got to feel pretty good about it. So uh, I'm I'm there. I, I'm with you on that. Uh, the texture said it sounded like Matt said I'm 40 when talking about losing at Top Golf. Well, he said he he did the it's a famous quote, guys. Come on. Oh, okay. I'm a man. I'm 40. Is that is that where that came from? Oh my! Goodness. I think that's what it was. Oh my! Gosh. He's uh, quoting the the legendary Mike Gundy. Um, okay, the UK fans now says, "Okay, we go from 2006 and still own the lead. If you want to pick and choose games that will count, so will I." That's completely different. Like you're 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 picking a time when you're excusing a four game winning streak for Louisville, and then also a time period where we've won seven of eight, and you're saying that's the exact same thing as me discounting games that were played over a hundred years ago. I, I mean, I'm it's sorry. Shut up. Like, like that, that's the most baseless logic i've ever heard in my entire life like there, there's only there's literally only two ways you can classify the series the all-time series and the modern series well if you go from 2011 we lead again like we, you can do this all the time if you want to say every game should count then okay whatever but i personally even if we're talking about louisville owning the series because of games played in 1912 am not going to do it i'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry I mean, if, by the letter of the law yes they, they do own the all-time series but at the modern series which is from 1994 when the series resumed after 80 years to now Louisville leads by three. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Kentucky beat us 73 to nothing in 1922. If you were around for that game, if you remember it, if you share memories, if you blogged about it, props to you, you get to count that. I'm not going to. We'd, we didn't score the first five times we played Kentucky from 1912 to 1922. Didn't score a point. I would love to know who scored those points. In, and I'm pretty sure one. Center College beat us like 111 to three in one of those years. Like that's, I mean, what do you want me to say? Um, let's talk about the Nick Saban stuff because as mentioned, we, we started off the show. We had to get into the Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban feud. It's all the rage today. Understandably. So it's one of the best off season feuds that I can remember seeing, not just in college sports, not just in college football, but in any sport. And so we had Saban lobbing a shot at Jimbo last night saying that Texas A&M only had the number one play uh, recruiting class in the country because they paid for every single one of their players, $30 million. And then Jimbo calling his own press conference today and just 
I mean, going above and beyond and calling Saban a fraud, implying that he's been cheating his whole life, uh, calling him a narcissist, doing all this stuff, um, making fun of him for saying that there needs to be parody in college football. Uh, so Saban, the latest, and this has happened while we're on air, he went on XM College Radio at 4.30. And I don't want to say to his credit, but he does start off with an apology, which, he does. Is, which is interesting. He says, I should have never singled anyone out. That was a mistake. I apologize for that. He said he tried to contact both Jimbo Fisher and Deion Sanders. I reached out to them. I never got a response. I feel bad about it. But then goes on to say, I'm not changing my philosophy. I look at the betterment of college football. My concern is college football in general. I think a lot of us are concerned about it. People want to understand what's happening in college football, why players are transferring and getting money to do so. I wasn't saying anyone did anything illegal. That was something that was assumed. That wasn't what I meant or what I said. It's not illegal. It's the system that allows you to do it that I have a problem with. If alumni give money or money is raised through a collective to give to a player, that's no different than alumni giving the player money. The collective becomes a representative of the school, and you can't do that. So basically, like, sorry, not sorry. Is, much. is Nick Saban's stance here. He's pretty much saying, yeah, the system is broken, but while the system is still broken before it gets fixed, I'm still going to do what I do. That's essentially what he's saying. That's what he's been alluding to over the last few weeks. Not, well, not really alluding to, but I go back to the first hour when I mentioned that right around the time that Tyler Harrell decommitted, well, not even decommitted, just entered the transfer portal. Everybody he, knew it was happening. Yeah, he put out a warning saying, oh, if we don't fix this, NIL and the one-time transfer for portal is going to turn into the Wild West and tampering is going to be rampant. All the while, Alabama is tampering with Tyler Harrell at the same time. It, I'm going to say it. Like, the notion that, because Nick Saban saying all these things is essentially implying that Alabama's never paid to get a player. If you want to believe that, and this is a program, I, I guess he's talking about under his watch. I mean, Alabama has had its runs with the NCAA numerous times over the years. See, if you want to believe that, we've got some great oceanfront property in Arizona to sell you. And, and it's not Alabama. Like, I, I'm not believing that. Like, everybody around here... How stupid do you think we are? Even if you've never covered a college football game, even if you've never been a part of a program, even if you've never been a booster, been on the inside, what have you, everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who's heard something that is probably true. Mm-hmm. Everybody. It happens all over the place to varying, varying degrees. And it's almost next-level trolling to, to just like look at us in the face and be like, say, we're doing this the right way. We've never paid a player. We've never done anything remotely nefarious. It's so hypocritical that I almost have to respect it. It's almost worse than him saying, like, we got to get parity back in college football when the common, like, joke for the last 10 years has been, like, oh, Alabama's going to win. Like, why even watch the games? Like, they're they're going to be in the playoffs. He's arguably run one of the best dynasties in the history of the sport, and he's going to go into history as maybe the, the greatest coach of all time dethroning a fellow Alabama coach. Sure. I also still like don't understand why he's the one who's all worked up about this. If anybody deserves to be worked up about this, it's a group of five coach, right? Or a mid-major coach on the basketball side who you get you, know, you, hit, you hit big on a three-star recruit that everybody else missed on. He winds up becoming passing leader in the country. He's got an NFL arm. He's on NFL draft picks. He's got a couple of years of eligibility left before he can enter the draft. Like nowadays, that kid's gonna get picked off somewhere. 
If mm-hmm. Bama loses a star quarterback a year earlier than they thought, if they lose a guy who's backing who's they thought was going to be their quarterback the next year because he doesn't want to sit around for an extra year and go somewhere where he can start right away, they're coming after your guy. They're yeah. going to pick him off. Yeah, if, the, if there's anyone that needs to be mad about this at all, it's the Louisvilles, it's the sure. Vanderbilts, it's the Georgia Techs. All three of those schools lost players to Alabama in this cycle. Like meaningful under dubious circumstances, yeah. it has to be mentioned. Like when when you've heard it, when I've heard it, when people on the text line have heard it before Tyler Harrell's even entered the transfer portal, and four days later he's in the portal, a week later he's visiting Bama, two weeks later he's committed to Bama, and you're sitting here telling me that like we've never done anything like this, we're not doing anything like this. Come on, like, the fact that he's the one causing such a fuss, I think, is what is is rankling everybody mm-hmm. because. We all know what's going on. We all, I think we all agree to a certain point that there needs to be some parameters put in place to keep some of the things that are taking place from, from, from continuing. But the fact that he's the one doing the most whining and flaring up and, oh, I weep for the future of college football is laughable. I, and I don't really get it because there's nothing that should prevent Bama from continuing to be Bama moving forward. I, I mean, I guess his concern is that – I've kind of said with the NIL thing, especially on the basketball side, it should help a program like Louisville, which Mm -hmm. has always been good and recruited well, but hasn't been in basketball recently, like Kentucky Duke, when it comes to recruiting. And for Louisville, you should now with NIL be able to look at a situation like when Duke a few years ago had the top three players in the class, when they had Reddish, Barrett, and Zion Williamson. Mm -hmm. You would think that you would be able to go to Cam Reddish and say, look, dude, you're going to get money from Duke. It's a big program. I get it. You're the number three man on the totem pole. Here, you're the guy. You're the king. You're the guy that every business wants to go to. We should have a better shot with guys like that than we would have four years ago. Yeah, In in some semblance, it does create parity in a way because not the the top 25 prospects aren't going to the same four schools. Yeah, They're going to go to a Louisville. They're going to go to an Oregon. They're going to go to an Auburn. They're going to go to X school. They're going to go to Jackson State. They're... That's one way that NIL has allowed for parity to flourish. Has it done the opposite as well? Absolutely. And but there are there are parameters that can be put in place to fix this. And like we've said, what they are exactly, we don't know. But NIL has allowed, in the grand scheme of things, once it's actually constructed, once the system is properly constructed. It can create parity, and it can create an overall better product. Like, using Kentucky as an example, if there was no NIL, Shebae would be declared for the draft. Sure. Like, I mean, we can all agree to that. Yeah. Instead, the reigning national player of the year is coming back to Kentucky. That hasn't been done since Tyler Hansborough in, was it, 08? Correct. That doesn't, it, that doesn't happen a lot. So, I know it's going to suck for Louisville fans having to watch this, but for Kentucky and for college basketball as a whole that is a huge plus this the the wild west stuff and and the buying recruits aside let's assume that they get a handle on that too however they're going to are you exactly are you like me though that that says even if they don't even if it gets i don't know how it can get worse i think eventually it's going to be be don't you say that it's the ncaa it can get worse (laughs) but are you like me who says like i still think the good outweighs the bad here Oh, absolutely. No, I agree. Because, I mean, like I've said before, this is an entire a billion-dollar industry built on the backs of unpaid labor. Sure. Now, you can make the argument that they get paid in scholarships, but it's not money that they really see except for maybe a cost-of-living stipend or whatever that stipend is named, which is only like a few thousand dollars anyways. Mm. 
considering how much money that these players produce for these big time programs, like say in Alabama and Ohio State, or even on the basketball sides of Kentucky, Duke, Louisville, they deserve compensation in some form. So NIL, as much of a cluster bleep that is caused, has produced a lot more good than bad. I mean, we've seen uh, examples of players taking their NIL money and kind of spreading the wealth among teammates. I mean, Malik Cunningham, he earns a buku amounts of NIL money. And something that he did over the course of the regular seasons is that he took his offensive lineman out for a steak dinner, I think it was like, like on Thursday or Friday before games. Yeah. And then, heck, I was talking to Sidney Curry and J.J. Trainer last weekend about how they were able to use NIL to hold a basketball camp for fifth and sixth graders. Like, there are examples about how NIL has not only – Benefited the players, but benefited the people around them and the community it's in. So, for the large part, NIL has the, the good parts of NIL has outweighed the bad parts. I think the biggest positive impact, and, and I originally said I think it's going to be the biggest impact overall, and I might be wrong about that because I, I'll be perfectly honest. I did not think that the, you know, people pooling their money to pay recruits to come was going to happen as quickly as it has. And I think that probably is, that is true. the biggest impact so far with NIL being allowed. But I think eventually we're going to see the biggest positive impact for NIL. It's not going to be, you know, paying a kid a million dollars to hang around. It's not going to be just Trevor Lawrence back in the day making what he should have been making for being a national championship winning quarterback. Mm-hmm. It's going to be sort of those fringe players, those guys who probably aren't going to make it in the NBA or the NFL and feel like, hey, my there's only a limited window for me to get paid to play a game. I don't care if I've got to go overseas. I'm just gonna bounce. Mm-hmm. Guys, like the Oscar Sheway comparison's perfect. Like if he go if he goes for the draft, he maybe gets drafted in the second round. Maybe he doesn't get drafted. He's probably never going to be an NBA player. And if he does, he's probably never going to be an everyday NBA player. Right. But he still would have said, given where he was two months ago, if I come back and kill it next year my stock's not going to change. Like, I'm not going to start bombing threes. I'm not going to completely revamp my game. I was a unanimous college basketball player of the year. I did quite literally everything you can possibly do as an individual player in this sport. What else do I have to prove? Yeah, I'd love to win a national title, but I also want to get paid to play a game, and I'm not going to be healthy forever. I've got Mm -hmm. maybe 10, 15 years to do this. So if it means I've got to go play in Europe and make six figures over there, Cool. I'm going to do that. As much as I would love to be the big man on campus, as much as I love Kentucky, as much as I want to right the wrongs of losing to St. Peter's in the first round, financially, I, I can't do it. But now that's all changed. Think of a guy, uh, 2017, Nigel Williams Goss at Gonzaga. Oh, yeah. He, you know, they fall short. They feel like they got screwed. You ask any Gonzaga fan, they're going to tell you the refs ruined the game. North Carolina didn't deserve to win. They should have won that game. If Nigel Williams Goss comes back a year later, he is preseason national player of the year. Gonzaga's preseason national title favorite. Who knows what happens? Like, he's mm-hmm. the big man in college basketball. He's more of a name in American sports than he would have been otherwise. But, and he said this at the time, like, I'm going to be 23 next year. I, this would be my fifth year in college. I have already dealt with some injuries. If I don't make it in the NBA now, I'm never going to make it. Like, it's not like I'm going to dramatically improve. Like, you don't draft 24-year-olds into the NBA who have been no. who they've been in college for a, a set period of time. Yeah, this may not be lead to me being a first-round pick or me being a lottery pick or being a millionaire in the NBA, but I need to start making money doing this. 
I think if he was, if you take Nigel Williams Goss in that exact same situation and put him in 2022, he's playing college basketball for another year. 100%. You're going to have a lot of that. Maverick Rowan left NC State because he was like, I mean, I am who I am. I'm the player I am. I've got, I'm going to go start getting paid. Like, I, I don't want to be at NC State. And I think there are a lot of guys who really do genuinely love the college experience and love college basketball and who want to stick around and who would probably give up a little bit of money if it's between, mm-hmm. you know, making $60,000 in the G League or making $45,000 to play at NC State or wherever, they might pick NC State now. They, they might give up that extra fifteen k and say, look, you don't get to do this ever again. Yeah, you, don't, it, you don't get to be the big man on college campus. As much time as they put into this craft, they, they deserve compensation. Yeah. So I, I think you'll see that play out, and I think that's going to be good for the sport. Gary Parrish wrote a, a great thing a few years ago about how we pay so much attention to who gets the five-star prospects and who gets – you know, what got, what sophomore breakout star comes in college basketball. If you look at the the recent Final Four teams, the recent national champions, the, the biggest factor for all of them, almost to a T, has been getting at least one guy who had a decision to make about whether to go or whether to come back. Like those decisions that happen in April and May that we kind of, after we see a million of them, we kind of gloss over them. Mm-hmm. They wind up being the biggest determining factor in who's good and who's not in college basketball. And we, I mean, we felt that firsthand. Let's say... I mean, there was some talk after the 2012 Final Four run that Peyton Siva, even though he wasn't like a surefire first-round pick, might jump for the NBA draft. Like, there was talk about that. Gorgie Zhang had, you know, his potential was off the charts. He had just uh, led the team to the Final Four. And I know he had explored the possibility of going pro. We lose both those guys. We don't win a national title. No. Um, if Earl Clark doesn't come back in 09, we're definitely not the number one overall seed. Terrence Williams also, like, was a surprise. He, he entered the draft originally, put, pulled his name out, came back. Those guys don't come back. We're definitely not flirting with going to a Final Four. Those decisions can make or break you, and I think you're going to see more teams made because of them with NIL moving forward. Um, all right, uh, Thornton's text line is 502-414-1450. We'll get back to you coming up after the break. We'll also do the drawing for the winner of today's Bourbon and Beyond and Louder Than Life ticket passes. Uh, if you've entered, props to you. We're going to talk about that after the break, and uh, we'll wrap up the show. We'll make some predictions for tonight's NBA and NHL games as well. It's the Mike Rutherford Show. We'll wrap it up next here on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. Again, final segment here of the Thursday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 The Big X. We've been playing the music all week, uh, the Louder Than Life Bourbon Beyond. It's coming up soon. We've been having one winner for our contest, our Pick the Headliner contest, all week long. Uh, the past three days, it's been a various type of trivia. Monday, we did sports trivia. Tuesday, we did in-show trivia to make sure that you were listening to what uh, what Trevor was saying, the last concert that he saw. It was Guns N' Roses, by the way. Uh, <laughs> yesterday, we did actual band trivia. It was a Pearl Jam question. And then today... In order to get the podcasters involved, we let uh, we gave you guys a few days of heads up, and we said you can enter the contest one of two ways: tweet a picture of Trevor at Trevor on Twitter of yourself not smiling, or if you're not on Twitter, not everybody is, send it to me via email. I'll be perfectly honest; I was extremely disappointed that no females uh, tweeted at Trevor a picture of themselves not smiling when I was going through it. I was like, dude, dude, dude. Uh, made me a little bit upset, but props to everybody who followed the rules and got it in. 
we, uh, we we set the deadline at I think two o'clock today. So we've got to we got a healthy. I'm gonna let Matt pick. I've, I've written the names down of everybody he's gotten in. Some are Twitter names, some are actual names. So we're let. Uh, I'm just gonna put these on the table, and I'm gonna let Matt McGavick draw our winner here for today. Here we go. Pick one, anyone. And open it up. Let's open it up. And the winner, you toss one away. The winner is Randall Goet two. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. G O E T. Randall, congratulations. There you go. Give me that name. We'll get in contact with you. Randall, I think gets probably. That's a Z at the oh, end there. God. Sorry, my, I've got two. <laughs> I write like a two-year-old. That's my fault. Uh, Randall, you're the champion. You're the winner. You're going to these concerts. You're going to uh, to pick the headliner that you want to see. It's going to be fantastic. Oh uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Tomorrow, the last day you can win. We're wrapping up the contest tomorrow. We're going to do something in show. and be back to normal, but props to Randall. Congrats to Randall. I really wanted it to be the guy who just DM'd Trevor uh, a very fantastic picture of himself not smiling. And only had his Twitter name. I, I, I was like, Trevor, I need the guy's name. He's like, it's no follow button. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, well, now, now I want this guy to win. Now I'm, right. I'm rooting for him. But uh, Randall, you are the winner. We'll reach out to you. We'll get your info. We'll make this happen. Congrats to you. Uh, we've been talking a lot about Jimbo Fisher, a lot about uh, the Nick Saban kerfuffle, all this going on. It's been fantastic. It's dominated the national sports conversation. We've also talked a little bit about the, I guess, the local Sports conversation has been dominated, at least recently, if my mentions are any indication, about this Scott Satterfield interview with Tim Sullivan, where he's got the UK logo upside down behind him. People have strong opinions about that. I had some strong opinions about that. We have not talked at all, uh, Matt McGavick, who's with me in studio. The the heroic, triumphant, incredible resurgent Cincinnati Reds have swept the Cleveland Guardians in a two-game series today. You know what? They had us in the first half. But <laughs> I'm not going to lie. They're coming, man. Won seven of their last ten. Yeah, they had one of the worst months of April in Major League history. Sure, they were giving up runs after runs after runs. But you know what? The Reds are going to win to the World Series, man. It's going to happen. I mean, eventually. It, not yeah, this year. Eventually. No, not this year. Not no, this year. Not at all. They, they, they will probably, as soon as I said that, they will probably lose like five of their next two, so five of the next six, and then just, yeah, not do anything. But you know what? Allow me to live in the moment. The Reds are playing somewhat relevant-ish baseball and are not the worst team in the league. If they just hadn't lost twenty-one of twenty-two, they'd be right there. <laughs> People forget that. If they didn't, ha- if they didn't almost spend an entire month without a victory, they'd be a young, promising team that was keeping us interested throughout the summer. And instead, they're what, still sixteen games under five hundred. I just want to know how in the hell they split a series at Atlanta to start the year. You want to know what happened? Phil Castellini made his comments right after that. that is, no, yeah, the, the, tank Castellini, the whole damn team. The Castellini curse, man. Where tank, are you going to go? Well, not, not to the ballpark. That's tank sure. the whole damn season. Uh, another thing that we have not talked about today, Bet Online. We, we mentioned it's been a good week for for odds and talking offseason stuff. We, we talked about the over-under win total for Louisville, which is set at 5.5. Bet, Bet Online today came out with their odds for every week one college football game. Louisville on the road at Syracuse, uh, a Syracuse team that's probably going to be picked to finish last in the Atlantic Division. Cards are a four-point favorite. Initial thought there, Matt. Doesn't surprise me. I mean, Syracuse is not good. I mean, Sean Tucker is the only thing even remotely relevant for Syracuse right now. Granted, I'm not completely up to speed on their additions and who they've lost. I know that Sean Tucker, I mean, he led the ACC in running in uh, rushing yards. He's, he's really good. But then I saw what Garrett Schrader did mm-hmm. at Cardinal Stadium. Or I saw that he couldn't throw the ball farther than 10 or 15 yards down the field. Good. I saw that, so I, I, I can't unsee that. So to see them as a four-point favorite on the road, that doesn't surprise me. 
I'll be perfectly honest. If we only beat Syracuse by four to start the season, I'm not going to feel overly optimistic about our chances of winning seven or eight games. That's just fair. because, you know, as down as some of the seasons recently have been, the one constant since we joined the ACC outside of the, the 2018 disaster has been we just sort of destroy Syracuse, like regardless of what happens. There I, was that one year. What was the year where they got upset in the Carrier? Oh, what's the not the Carrier Dome anymore? It's well, but that was before we joined the ACC. Yeah, that was that was the Charlie Strong year where we were undefeated. Yeah. And Ryan Nassib, we did the, the speaking of embarrassing little football things, we did the <laughs> fake quote on his cardboard cutout, like stomped it. And then he threw like seven touchdowns against us. And the quote was so like meaningless, so like harmless. It was, we never lose on senior day, which he did not even say. They made it up. But if you're going to make up something, be like, <laughs> have some profanity in there for God's sake. Be like, mm-hmm. you little bees, like you never could even play at Syracuse or something. Like it, it was so bad. It was so, and then they left the, the stomped on cardboard cutout in the locker room for Syracuse to find and put all over social media. It was bad. But since we joined the ACC in uh, uh, 2015, Mm-hmm. 2014, right? Four, 14, yes. 28 to 6, 41 to 17, 62 to 28, mm. 56 to 10, mm. then we lost. 56 to 34, mm. 30 to nothing, mm. 41 to 3. Mm. Death, taxes, Louisville beating Syracuse in the ACC. I don't want to say this is the most important game Scott Satterfield's ever coached, <laughs> but. It's pretty crucial. We, we, we talked a little bit about tone setting. We mentioned that in the baseball segment. But if there was ever a need for a tone setting decisive win, this was it. Especially since, you know, we're all going to do the thing where as the offseason drags on, I mean, the college football offseason feels like it's like seven months because you start mm-hmm. basketball ends, you know, you're paying attention to baseball, but also you do start doing more of the football looking ahead. And by the time you actually get to July, it feels like you've already done all the preview you can do and you still got a month and a half left to go. Yep. So – when you get to August, I think you've talked about this stuff so much that whoever you're a fan of, unless your team is just woefully inept and there's no hope whatsoever, you kind of talk yourself into maybe a win or two more than you were thinking back in, in February when the last season was still fresh. And we're all going to do that, I think. We're, we're all going to find reasons to be optimistic. We're all going to get excited because, damn it, we've been waiting nine months to watch this team play. And if you come out and you lose in week one, I don't care if it's on the road, if you lose in week one to this team that you have just stomped the hole in, for the better part of the last 15 years. It's, I mean, people who are already a little bit angry or a little bit indecisive are going. They'll bring out the pitchforks. Pitchforks and torches all over the city. It's going to be bad. You'll, you'll then face an even tougher challenge the next week at UCF. And imagine being 0-2 coming home for that Friday night game against Florida State. I mean, Mm -hmm. we thought this was going to be a tough sell all offseason. That was my big thing after we lost to Air Force was like, there's going to be no excitement. You can't sell anything exciting with Scott Satterfield. The stadium's going to be, even more scarcely attended than it was a year ago. And I think that's kind of changed because of the recruiting stuff that's gone on and because of some of the things that Satterfield has done to try and revamp his image, which is great. Like he, yeah. He's done what he needed to do to get some people re-engaged. Now, there are more people who are still like, I want to see it. If you lose week one to Syracuse, it's all gone. Like All of that's out the window. People are furious. There's, there's what little excitement you had. Even the people who bought in are going to jump off that train. Like, the, how, how can you sell the rest of the season, like you said, when you lose to a Syracuse team who has only beaten you, like, once in the last, what, 10 Since years? we've been in the ACC. Yeah, it's yeah. been a long time. You need to – I think you need to win, and I think you need to win – I'm not going to say comfortably, but you need to look good in the process. You need to cover. You need to cover four. Yeah. I, I believe that. I, I definitely think this line is going to move at least to six, six and a half, maybe a full touchdown. Because I don't think Syracuse is that good. 
Yeah. If, if as long as they cover, they got to score by at least a touchdown or more. Texas says Saban trying to solve the parody in football is the hot dog meme emoji. <laughs> I mean, it is. That is true. The lack of, I mean, quite literally the last person who should be talking about that is Nick Saban. Anybody else who wants more parody in college football, even if you're like Kirby Smart, I get it because Georgia has had some some years where they were just like whatever teams, like mm-hmm. nine and three teams, Mark, the Mark Rick teams. Like anybody else besides Nick, Nick Saban is the last person, not even a, who is a head coach in college football, the last person who is remotely tied to college football who should be talking about this. It, it is, it's awful. Texter says, I thought that Trevor's point of NIL impacting the style of play in college basketball was interesting. I think he mentioned that it might turn back into a big man's game. Any thoughts on if football could be the same? Maybe a bunch of really good running backs start sticking around in college. It was a, a good point by Trevor. He was talking about how with the with the modern NBA being so different than what it was and having no real place for the traditional back-to-the-basket big man, mm-hmm. maybe we see more guys like Oscar Shibway, more guys, and, and I know he was not quite as limited, I, I hate to use that word, as Shibway, like Luca Garza, was. Yeah. he stepped out and shot it a little bit, but he still was not a guy that you looked at and said, bona fide NBA superstar. No. Maybe we do see more traditional big men stick around in college basketball for longer because of NIL, because, right. and, and we do see the game go back to the way it was 20 years ago a little bit more. Um, I mean, look at the this year's national championship game. I know Armando Baycott, not traditional big man, but still doesn't have like he's he's not going to be a bona fide NBA star. Like he doesn't have that type of game. No. And he and David, but he McCormick, can be a college star. Yeah, and he and David McCormick were the two biggest, I think, impactful players in that game, and they are two big men who put up big stats in college, who probably could not put up big stats in the NBA. Yeah, NIL benefits those who, like we've said before, fringe, next-level type prospects. The people who, in theory, can play at the next level, can ha- very much have the talent to, but are not locks, per se. Yeah. Like, Do you pe- think that's possible, though? That, that like we, Because the NFL has become more of a pass-first game in recent years. Mimicking, I mean, it's still not as much pass versus college, but maybe you do see running back. I don't know. I, I I would push back more on that one than I would the 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 basketball side of things, just because running backs have such a limited future in, in the NFL. I mean, we see just running backs churned out year after year after year in the in the NFL so much so that you're now seeing guys after two years like hold out and want big yeah. contracts because they're like, I may not be around in three years, and if I am, I'm not going to be nearly as productive as I am right now. I think if you're an if you're a running back in college who has a remote chance of playing in the pros, you got to bounce as soon as you can. I can see the argument for the opposite because we we've seen numerous running backs who have a really high ceiling get to the next level and then it just doesn't translate for whatever reason. And considering the shelf life for running backs is so short nowadays in the modern NFL, I can see a lot of these guys like perfect example like a Sean Tucker stick like mm-hmm. stick around for NAL reasons because maybe he's not generating the NFL buzz. Like he might think, like he thinks he should, like running back is probably the best position. It's like, like you said, center in college basketball. Running back is probably who can benefit the most from nil, and who it's. I don't know how else to explain it other than the fact that running back is like the modern modern football is pass, 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 sure. pass, pass. Running, unless you're like Louisville and Satterfield, they like to run the ball all the time. I think you would have to stick around in college and get as much money as you can there and then eventually try and go for the NFL. But that even that there is kind of a crapshoot because running backs are viewed as disposable now. Yeah, I guess if you're a superstar at a place like, let's say, 
Auburn. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're a Kenneth Walker the third, go to the NFL. Yeah, but let's say you're you're a very good running back at a place like Auburn. You're all conference caliber player, fringe Heisman candidate. But for whatever reason, it just doesn't seem like like you're not going to be a if you're an NFL pick, it's going to be a last day pick. Yeah, I can see why. I mean, because Auburn's going to be able to to give you money. Like they're going to be able to pull probably seven figures for you to stay one more year. And I can see why you would take that guaranteed money as opposed to running the risk of going the draft. And even if you do get drafted, not making a final roster, not getting a spot, not getting a full uh, full on contract. Like maybe that's a more attractive option for somebody who is a you know a bruising running back who doesn't have blazing speed, can't maybe not the best hands in the world, whose game is just he's a great college running back who's never going to be a great NFL running back. Mm-hmm. I can see that 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 scenario playing out. I, I get that. Um, Texas, the NIL benefits of the. NIL benefits the St. Peter's of the world. <laughs> Those guys have no chance of playing in the NBA yet. At the time, they were the face of the sport. Yeah, well, they all also ended up going to different programs. Like, yeah. all of those guys have transferred uh, besides the the big man, who I think is going to wind up going to Seton Hall with Shane Holloway. But, like, you know, Doug Eater definitely got some NIL deals, and that's probably, I mean, he's it Bryant now. He's it Bryant, yeah. I don't think the Northeast Conference is going to get a whole lot of pub. Like, he, his, his big NIL splash is probably come and gone. So there, there's certainly didn't he a part sign an NIL deal with Buffalo Wild Wings? He during did his run? during the tournament, but he wasn't the only like he got a lot of credit for that. But like they they signed some female and male other male basketball players too during the tournament. But he was the one that's funny because of the mustache. He also was like the sixth best player on that team. We just love him because he had the mustache and he was he was the white guy and he made the, he made the big shots. Uh, Texas, are we about to hit three hours of actual sports talk without radio without interruption? This is so weird. Yeah, this is not the norm on the show. <laughs> it's going to be the same tomorrow, maybe, too. Maybe it's me. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we got Keith coming in tomorrow, too. It's going to be – we have a lot more sports talk. Uh, Texture says, <laughs> uh, re- reacting to the Matt McGavick is 40, I'm surprised, text. I'm his dad, and I was like, 40? <laughs> oh, my God. And then he also says, uh, reading off the Syracuse scores, are you sure those weren't for future UK UFL football scores? Matthew's dad. <laughs> Your dad – Torching the text line with his UK tent. Mm-mm-mm. You're never coming back on again. It's done. It's okay. We're... I'll, 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 I don't even know how to respond to that. <laughs> Texture says, given the trend, the new trend of coaches being fired in season, what are the chances that Sad is even coaching against UK next year? I, mean, pretty... I don't want to completely dismiss that, but it's... things have to really go off the rails. It would have point. to be bad. Like You'd have to be... And, it, and that's not outside the realm of possibilities. You, you've got a schedule where, I mean, hell, like, there's not even a Murray State, Moorhead State, like, can't miss unless everybody dies. We're 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 not going to lose this game because James Madison, who we're playing, we talked about this yesterday, mm-hmm. is they used to be one of the best, better FCS teams. They they've now made the jump. They're one of the more dangerous FBS teams uh, in the group of five. Like. Yeah. I'm not saying we should did, lose to James Madison. But didn't they either win the FCS championship or get to the final? I believe they won it. And they, they also it? upset okay. Virginia Tech one time, I think. Uh, that was believe, a big deal. Yeah. So it's a so schedule. They're, they're, without, they're, not a complete, like, they're not a complete pushover. Like they they can pose a threat if Louisville's not careful. Yeah, it's a schedule where you look at, I think there are two or three games that you circle and say, we should win these. But it's not a, a circle where you a schedule where you circle two or three games and say, we will win these. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see things going poorly but the flip side of that and i feel like we're having a conversation from 12 months ago there's also not a whole lot on there that you look at and say well there's no chance like like even like clemson was beatable last year who's to say that everybody just assumes they're going to to bounce back and take this ma- massive step back in the right direction this past season this next season who's to say that happens if we were that close last year maybe we can be that close again we 
we almost beat them all three of the first years we were in this conference. And I know those were better teams than we expect to have, but maybe we overachieve. Maybe we're right there again. Yeah. Maybe the Kentucky thing stops being a thing. Maybe, maybe they aren't as good as we think they're going to be. Maybe they are more beatable. I mean, going into last season, we thought that there was no chance, and then we ended up being favored in the game. Now, it didn't go well. But yeah. we, we on paper, we, we had a chance to win that game. Yeah, because who's to say DJ Uyunglele actually has a bounce, somewhat bounce back here? I'm, I'm, didn't show a whole lot of flashes. Not really. And, and there's been some chatter that their backup QB of Caleb, I can't remember his last I, name. Yeah. But they're, he's generating a lot of buzz. I mean, if, if, G, if DJ starts to show even a little bit of struggle like he did last year, who's to say that Caleb won't come in and take his place? One last thing that I wanted to get into today, uh, we got about, uh, I guess, five, six minutes left. There had been some talk back and forth. I thought it was weird that we didn't have clarity on this as far as the eligibility remaining for both Sidney Curry and L. Ellis. I remembered when they got here, and Greer heard the same thing. There was a, this notion that L. Ellis had two years of eligibility after transferring in, but Sidney Curry had three. And Ellis cleared it up, thankfully, on Greer's podcast. Shout out to uh, Floyd Street's Finest. He... He has two years, and Sidney Curry has two years yeah. as well. So if, if L comes out here, kills it this year, has a great year, we set the tone for even bigger and better things in 2022, 2020, or I guess 2023, 2024, he can play then and could theoretically you know, become a big-time player if he doesn't choose to go pro. Now, I, I guess I think both those guys, Sidney Curry and L Ellis, have their mindset on, on this being their last college season. But everybody kind of has that mindset going into a college season at this level. But it's nice to know that we have potentially two years left with both those guys. Right, and you never know. And I've actually got the scholarship chart. I'm trying to get it pulled up, but the internet is yeah, being yeah. being funky. But no, I've actually got it mapped out. Both those two have a couple years left. Uh, here it is. J.J. Trainor's got three years, including this one. Uh, Brandon Huntley-Hatfield's got three, including this one. Mike James has three. Kamari Lands has four. But that's that's a little more clear considering he just joined this year. What what really kind of threw in the threw a wrench and everything was how the COVID year worked. Basically in layman's terms, the way it works the works before COVID is that you had four you had five years to complete four years of actual on court play. Mm-hmm. But with COVID it made it you had made it so to where you had six seasons to complete five years. So that's where the confusion was. And that clock started whenever you enrolled full-time at any college, whether that's D1, D2, D3, JUCO, or NAIA. So that's where like a lot of the confusion came from. I've been saying this for months now. We need to go to a system, at least until all of the COVID-era players have graduated, where you're not freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. We need one, twos, threes, fours, fives, and sixes. Six is the most you can be. If you're a six, it's your last season. There's no, there's no, no appeal process left. You're done. Five, you can be a six. Who was it that played seven? Probably Charlie Moore. I, I mean, my God. Like, he played for five different schools. I know that. Like, yeah. it's, it's beyond confusing. It's so weird to see. Like, I mean, we'll have guys who they're like, like celebrating their graduation at UofL, like getting their undergraduate degree, and they're like, like sophomores on the football team. I'm mm-hmm. like, like I, I feel like you've been around for 17 years. And then it's really hard when I was doing the college basketball work for the tournament. Some schools on their roster will list guys from like the COVID era who have played, like they'll be in their third season, but they'll list them as sophomores, just kind of implying that they're going to go ahead and be here for five years. Mm-hmm. And then other programs will list them as, you know, seniors, but then also say they, they have the the chance to come back. There's yeah. no continuity. It, it is yeah. impossible to keep track of. So I'm like, this guy's he's done. He's not coming back. And then you're like, oh, bleep, he's got two years left. It's, it's fortunately, really hard. Fortunately, whenever I put together a scholarship chart that I have on my, on my site, 
the great Kenny Klein on the game notes buried somewhere like 10 pages deep had a little box in there that provided clarification on everything. Guy's so the best. That was my basis for putting together this. So that's how I know that both of them have two years left. Uh, Texter, he's also referring to you as not Trevor. Uh, he says, how many times have you seen Pretty Woman this week? <laughs> I've never seen it. Oh, Trevor's head would have just exploded. <laughs> Trevor has somehow found a way to bring up Pretty Woman multiple times this week. It, it's uh, I don't know how it happened. I don't know why we how we got there. It's pretty mind-blowing. But uh, Trevor has worked Pretty Woman into all these conversations that we've been having. Um, I can't read that. <laughs> <laughs> Second time this week, man. Come on. What are you going to do? Uh, do we have any update from the Louisville baseball? We do not. I've been kind of monitoring that, and there's been just nothing. They've, the Twitter account's gone radio silent. They haven't tweeted anything since they said they were in a delay. Sean Moth, text the show. I know you listen. I know you're texting. Let me know what's going on. We, <laughs> I, I guess they're still going to try to play. I'm trying to answer the questions that you guys are asking. I, I'm assuming that they're still – if it was off, it would be off. I know it didn't rain a whole lot out here. I'm assuming that they didn't get bombarded with stuff out there. I, I know the worst of it was supposed to be gone by 6, 6.30. So hopefully we get baseball tonight. We'd love to see it happen. It's a big-time series. You've got regional hosting implications. You've got national seating implications. You've got coastal and Atlantic division implications. And also, these two teams, they hit the hell out of the ball. It should just be a fun three games. So let's get this thing going. Um, your overall, I, I, I guess you've looked at this. I know you wrote a preview of the whole week over at Louisville Report. What's the likelihood that Louisville takes two out of three from these guys? At least two out of three. I would say 75%, maybe a little bit lower, but it depends on which pitching staff shows up. And plus, it really depends on like what the health status is of Christian Napchik. Now, I say that, and guys like Brandon Anderson and Noah, Noah Smith have done you know markedly well in his position. But like I said, they're not Christian Napchik, and he does a lot for this offense considering he at one point was leading all of the NCAA in runs. So I, I would, if I was a betting man, which like I've said before, I am, but I suck at it, I would bet that Louisville does take the series, but I wouldn't bet it convincingly because Virginia, like Louisville, also does a really good job offensively, but they have a much better pitching staff than Louisville does. They've actually got their starting rotation hammered out. They've got consistency out of the bullpen. But, I mean, the bullpen, to be fair, has gotten better at times over the last few weeks. But there have been there have been times where the bullpen has been just downright putrid. So it, it depends on what bullpen shows up. Texas says, last text of the day, and it's appropriate. Another day, we still need guards. We do. We do. You're not wrong. Yeah. We still need guards. They're coming. They're coming. Just hang on. Uh, tonight, Matt McGavick in the NBA. We got Celtics at the Heat, 830 ESPN. Even money uh, is the spread. Who you got? Celtics, no question. Well, that's a homer. That, that's pack. that's. that's I, I will. I will admit that is a homer pack. I am a Celtics fan, but the Celtics are getting back uh, Marcus Smart and Al Horford. They they missed game one because of health and safety protocols, aka COVID. But they're back. I know it's it's in Miami, isn't it? Yes. I know it's it's on the road, but I think they win. Celtics in seven. Go Celtics. I picked the Celtics game one. They made me look stupid. I'm picking the Heat tonight. I'll probably be wrong. I miss every NBA pick we do at the end of these shows. It's great. Uh, also, lastly, 930, Blues Avalanche. Be a homer. Be my friend. Pick the Avalanche. Who you got? Go Avs. Avs, 5-2. Not, not nearly as eventful, as stressful as two nights ago. Miko Rantanen, 
That's the game winner. It's going to be fantastic. We're going to have a great time. Matt McGavin, thank you so much. We had, This was a blast. We'll do it again. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we'll, we'll rub this in Trevor's face because he was mad that he wasn't here. <laughs> Keith Wynn tomorrow will be on the show from 3 to 6. We'll talk a heavy dose of Louisville football and get into all sorts of other stuff. Everybody enjoy your Thursday nights. We'll see you guys tomorrow right here at 3 o'clock. <laughs>